What's a pretty little thing like you doing in this dingy old back room? I got some candy, a piece for every bruise. Grab it if it's handy and it cock do. Now dance to the beat of the slow, slow turn of the world as it weeps in the sea. Hey, all right, this is Tim Crisp, and you're listening to Road to the Skeleton Coast with Brendan Kelly. Brendan, what's going on, Bubba? How are you? I'm good, man. Uh, today's my daughter's birthday, and uh, so... Happy birthday, daughter! Yeah, so I'm full of... Uh, you know, cake, and uh, I was up late blowing up balloons and stuff like that. Ah, okay. That's so. good. that's a good thing to be up late blowing. <laughs> so, you know, uh, pretty much at the, the well, it's either at the top or the bottom of the list, depending on what you're into. Uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, I feel like you get a little bit older in life, and then you you start to realize that like. Look, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna, if I gotta stay up late blowing things, balloons are probably the most healthy. Good for your lungs. Yeah, for- but I mean, like, it could be like John Kennedy Jr. If you like that kind of thing, you know, and then that's better than balloons. <laughs> Not now. He's talking about his, his corpse. Or? He's dead, but I just mean. <laughs> I don't think they found him. Okay, George Clooney. I don't know who people want to suck the dicks of. I mean, I'd hit that Shaggy T Dope from ICP. You know. Uh, um, you know, it's a, it's a very stupid joke that I think everyone in the world has heard, but I'm going to go ahead and try it anyway. You know, it's the worst thing uh, anyone could say, or the worst thing you can hear immediately after blowing Willie Nelson. What's that? I'm not Willie Nelson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, never thought of it that way. But uh, I mean, happy birthday, happy birthday, daughter! I feel like uh, I feel like I've been hitting a good stride over here during quarantine. I just found out Rock of Love is on Hulu. Wonderful show, fantastic stuff. I I burned through season one. Uh, Brett Michaels, there's something something very deep and fascinating about what drives that guy. Yeah, man, it, he's uh, what because he's doesn't really seem like as much of a walking id as everything should indicate that he is. Um, I mean, he is a walking id, but he's also, like, he's got a nuance that's, uh, I think, fairly disarming, actually. For a guy that wears, like, bejeweled, like, $9,000 jeans and, like, uh crazy hair extensions and stuff like that and uh used to be in poison and now looks like a inflatable yard balloon of the guy <laughs> that used to be in poison uh like when i watched that show like during its like actual you know network run or whatever i mean it was on vh1 so i don't i don't know if, i don't right. know how to par- parse that shit but uh-huh. uh i found him to be a kind of an endearing character even even though he was obviously doing something that's like pretty weird it it didn't it didn't really bother me i just i kind of liked him it's always interesting when you get somebody who seems to be uh in that like weird ass situation but also seems to be looking for a deep personal connection and seems to connect with a lot of the right people but then also has all of these weird like tendencies my favorite was when he found out that one of the contestants was talking about people who were more famous than him and he was losing his mind just going around like <laughs> yeah well i mean like you know that not that like uh 
I think that there's like totally two ways to look at that, right? Like on one hand, you could be like, uh, oh, what a fucking megalomaniac that, you know, like he's got to be the most famous person in this woman's life. But on another hand, it's like he is an extraordinarily famous person. And Poison was a huge band. And if she's talking about, like, famous people more famous than him, all of a sudden he's reduced to, like, famous guy Brett Michaels and not, like, man Brett Michaels that, I that you know, has made a connection with this woman. So I, I can see where there's, like, a very legitimate reason to be totally upset about that. Uh, yeah, also he's, like, very, very into the idea that his career is alive and well and that he's not just on rock of love <laughs> hey man you know a lot of people work at casinos it's a fucking good job yep, you know what i mean definitely. Um, and and like uh just because he's like playing like six different versions of every rose has its thorn at the ho-chunk every tuesday or whatever it, it doesn't mean <laughs> it doesn't mean that that's not a career i you know it's like uh First of all, being in the entertainment industry is hard. Second of all, being a hair metal dude now is hard. Having any job, it, you know, if I if I want to sit around and like legitimately be like, you know, what, there's nothing fucking wrong with working at McDonald's. Like, I, you know, how dare you shame someone for having a job? Kind of got to ex- extend that same courtesy to Brett Michaels. I think, you know, straight up. I mean, CC Deville could have been in this same situation, but he wasn't, and he's not. Mm-hmm. But, hey, I uh, would like to thank all y'all for joining us this week on Talking About Brett Michaels with Brendan Kelly. Uh, yes, yeah, so we'd like to thank our sponsors uh, <laughs> at VH1. Um, the uh, the guy from Behind the Music actually left us a nice voicemail. It's, it's incredible. It's like he gave us the Behind the Music story of calling us to say thank you. Here's $100. And you won't believe... <laughs> What's going to happen next? Yeah. Uh, you know, what's funny is like, I, uh, there's a bit of a rumor that after flavor of love and then rock of love, that there was going to be another one with Glenn Danzig. Whoa. Uh, which was just a rumor, but my thought was you call it misfits of love. And that's like the best title. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and why they haven't done this. I know why they haven't done it, but that, we, we can talk about it. we can talk about it later. But uh, my thought is that after the quarantine, maybe it'll happen. Maybe we'll go like that far into postmodernism, but also maybe it could all just get like wiped away. We could get a completely clean slate and start with uh, something new, fresh. Maybe we're all doomed. I don't know, but hey, we got we got some stuff to talk about this week. You and me. Yeah, let's go. I'd rather die. Then live forever. The first Brandon Kelly and the Wandering Birds record. We got uh, we got a lot of fine folks joining us this week for that conversation. Thank you all for for coming. Uh, invite you to rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify. All that stuff. We've got an email address, brendankellypodcast at gmail.com. I've been getting some dope questions over there. It's nice hearing from all of you, you know, especially hearing stories from so many of you who, you know, have your own stories about following our guy, Brendan, here. Now my best friend. True. Brendan, we got a, a couple questions uh, that I think would be a good way to start off this week's episode, if that works for you. Uh, let me check my schedule. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> 
Jacob from Tucson, uh, Tucson, Ohio, I'm assuming he didn't say. Uh, when Chris recorded the Sundowner record, 4152, he did a version of Boatless Booze Cruise. Brendan, you got any insight into his decision to do this particular song? Um, a little bit. Uh, what I recall was that when he recorded that, like Toby, who runs Red Scare, um, and I mean, you know, I know a lot of people know that I have like a limited involvement in Red Scare, but it's like Toby's like, I'm like the, the queen of England and Toby's the prime minister, you know, like I'll mm-hmm. show up to like meet a band and be like, you want to be on the record label, my record label. And then if they're, if they're like interested, then I'm like, and eh, here's Toby. He'll be handling <laughs> pretty much everything, you know? Uh, so like. I mean, I, I, I do a little and I help organize a few things, but Toby really does the lion's share of the work over there. Um, but uh, he was at this time really into any um, sort of uh, ancillary Lawrence Arms project, uh, really pointing back to uh, to something, right? And uh, with the Falcon, he just wanted us to re-record two songs off the EP, mm-hmm. right? Because that was like the flagship release on Red Scare. So I think that that was enough of an anchor. And for this, he was like, you yeah, know, you should consider doing, uh, you know, a Lawrence Arms cover. And then Chris and I talked about it and I was like, you know, when we talked about Boatless Booze Cruise, uh, Tim, you and I, uh, during uh-huh. the apathy, uh, the episode of this podcast, um, I told you how I was like so excited about the lyrics and and as a result made the whole thing very like steady and like kind of almost droning in order that the lyrics uh, not be overwhelmed by the music or anything like that. And Chris and I were talking and I was like, dude, it'd be cool if you could do that song a little bit of justice because like we kind of, you know, it's like the lyrics are cool. Yeah. The melodies are cool. And like with, with your voice and an acoustic guitar, you could kind of create some dynamics and i'm not saying that i came up with the idea we were talking through it together chris and i were talking through it together those are the things that kind of came up um i don't believe i even suggested it myself but i don't i you know it was like a very uh, organic conversation yeah uh, that's that's sort of how that went down and um i'm i'm glad he did because it's a he does a lot of like really subtle things with the melodies that I'm like, oh, that's really good. Yeah. And now I think now I think when we play it live, maybe I kind of sing his version a little more, and I sing my own version of it. So. Mm-hmm. I like the way his uh, starts, and then it kind of like it it kind of like goes into the rhythm in a little bit more of like a rounded way when he's like, take it easy, sit outside. It's a it works really well with uh, that with his voice and just like that presentation of that song. Yeah, no, for sure. I, you know, he, in fucking shocking front page news, Chris McCoggan and his voice on the guitar did a really great job. On something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jacob from Tucson also mentioned, uh, he said, PS Brendan, you should follow Tim on Twitter. Thanks Jacob. Uh, we've been having a great time over there on Twitter at better yet pod. Um, some great tweets, going back this week really high performing stuff so it's fun yeah but i mean nothing like nothing like you got over there at at bad sandwich i mean you twenty five thousand followers saw you drop another winner on uh may 10th that napoleon the water slide and bill and ted (laughs) looking like danzig 
Yeah, we uh, we watched Bill and Ted's the other night. Um, any of you people with children out there? Um, my at the time, my daughter's ten, my son is twelve, and uh, they both several times during that movie were like, "This is the best movie I've ever seen." That so rules. If, if you have, and, and and there's really almost nothing in it that like. No, I don't care like how uptight you are. There's almost nothing in that movie that could be construed as weird. It's it's very much a family movie. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly, considering that in theory, I, I mean, it's like it's like about stoners the way uh, fucking uh, uh, Scooby Doo was about stoners, right? You know? <laughs> you know, like yeah, it's a sex cult that lives in a van, and one of the guys is super high, and his best friend is a talking dog, but uh, <laughs> they never go into any of that shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. There's a there's a dopiness there that I think is just you get a little bit older and it's like, oh, these guys are stoners. But when you're young, it's just like, oh, they're so dopey. Yeah, they're just fun. When I was when I was really little, that was one of my favorite movies, like five or six. And they had a cartoon show and stuff, too. So it was uh, it, interestingly, like retroactively marketed to children. And I was right in that lane. I had the action figures and everything. Yeah, my my son loved it, and he, it's funny because I think of it as such a cultural placeholder. But uh, he's like, "Yeah, what is it, Bill and Fred's awesome journey?" I'm like, "Get yeah. on the couch, get on the <laughs> couch." But it, it, he didn't grow up through the marketing blitz and the subsequent cartoons and breakfast cereals and all that kind of shit. So mm-hmm. you know, yeah, totally. It is kind of a mouthful for a little guy. Anyway, do you watch Barry? On HBO? Nah, man. You know, actually, uh, uh, we, uh, we're we looking for a new show to start. And there you the, go. That's the one that I want to watch. That's is it, the one. Is it, is it something I could watch with my kids? No. I know he's a hitman. But like, is is there? I mean, and um, I don't give I don't give a shit if he curses or anything like that. But it's there's nothing sexual. Uh, it's a little violent. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's like it's a little a little violent if you think that they are like if you're down with it, I think it'll be fine. Maybe watch a couple episodes before see what you think. That was You know what, Tim? That was my plan. Hmm. There's a great. great character in there, Noho Hank, who is in the upcoming Bill and Ted's 3. He has alopecia, so my assumption since William Sadler is also reprising the role of Death is that we're going to get Death's son, played by the wonderful... I forget his name. But he's no-ho Hank on Barry, and he's amazing. Awesome. So uh, another email that I think will give us a good segue into the record that we got on tap. Uh, This one's from Matt. Uh, In the last episode, Brendan said, in regards to songwriting, I never spend more than 10 minutes on a song, and it's got to come faster. It shouldn't. just asking for a little elaboration on this. The dude writes at least a page a day, but a song comes in 10 minutes. So this is good feedback because being the pals that we are, Brandon, maybe we forget to let our listeners in on the entire conversation because you and I both know that you have a process mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. writing and we haven't really like gone to the uh, beginning of that paragraph. So why don't you tell us about... Uh, your process yeah. and what goes into it. Yeah. So, okay. First of all, when I'm writing, um, I write 
it's it's disingenuous. Well, not disingenuous. It's inaccurate to say I wrote to say I write a page a day. I'll probably usually when I'm writing for a record, I'll write you know seven pages a day, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and that is all very rapid fire. Like I sit down and I write until the page is full, and I don't think and I don't stop. Like that's how it has to come out of me. Like whether I'm using like an exercise or uh, you know just like going complete like free writing or whatever. Uh, you know, usually I'll like start with free writing. It will all be garbage for a very long time. And then I will start doing some exercises. Those will sort of start to, you know, like God particle the the ideas a little bit, if you know what I mean? Like, you Mm -hmm. know, start, start to curd up the way as it were to use a cottage cheese reference. Um, or, and then, uh, (laughs) and then, and then I can start free writing again and it becomes a little more, but the the writing of a page takes me I don't know maybe maybe ten minutes on the long end right uh uh-huh. but i I listened to an interview and I keep wanting to like I've talked about this in a few different interviews I've done, and at this point I don't remember the interview at all. I only remember talking about it, and I seem to remember that I've always said it was Billy Joe. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember honestly. Mm-hmm. Where you know the interviewer was saying something like, "And okay, let's just assume it was Billy Joe." Okay, for the sake of what I'm trying to get at here. Sounds good. And, and they're like, you know, man, uh, a song that really fucking hits home to me is when I come around. You know, and he was like. Whoever this person was, or whatever the song was, I don't know. It could have been Bob Dylan and fucking, uh, uh, you know, lay lady lay, blow blow it in the wind. You know, like it, it could have been any. It could have been anyone. The A and Samaritan. It could have been, could have been Sir Mix a Lot and Baby's Got Back. I don't remember, but uh, the point is that they were like, oh, that one. You know, that one just kind of came out of me. Like I just sat down. And it just happened so fast, and it was done. And I started thinking at that moment, I was like, that's what every single artist I've ever heard says about the songs that they have that are the best. And I'm like, if that's the way to make the best songs, why would I ever do it any other way? Mm -hmm. Do you know? Like, why would I slave over something and try to, like, cobble it together? What I need to do is just write so much that I end up with enough of these, like, it just fell right out of me songs mm-hmm. to put on a record. You know what I mean? So it, like, sort of, like, increased my game. But, I mean, it's, you know, it, it's no different than, like, in the way that, say, like, you know, when Michael Jordan was, like, fuck two seasons in and all of a sudden he was like, I've got to start pumping iron so I can be big big enough to push the pistons around right you know like it's like it's like the the same thing it's like oh this creates more work for me but this is going to lead to the result i want you know and what i wanted was an album full of songs and i'm like oh that one that came right out of me that's why you you know that's why you hear what you hear in it and that started um right before greatest story ever told so Mm. And maybe like in the early stages of writing that record, mm-hmm. you know, because um, I remember I did slave over Disaster March, but uh, like a lot of those other songs, like the the one I went home and wrote was uh, 
on with the show. Yeah. You know, yeah, once yeah. I like, came to that conclusion, you know, after reading that interview, I, I went home and I wrote on with the show and I was like, okay, this works. You know, totally. Now I'm going to go and play it three times in a row in front of <laughs> exactly. adoring fans. Yeah. I think, um, it's, it's always been interesting to me, um, getting into the processes that writers have of basically kind of getting to the same place where it's just your subconscious working however you get there you are just letting it all come out as unfiltered as possible and i like that yours is really like working um like that uh that idea of of jordan lifting a lot of weights it's like you kind of got to get all of this shit out of your head before it can come out freely absolutely Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I, I, I say like exercising and writing are the same. It's like, if you don't do it every day and you don't push yourself, you're not going to see any results, you know, but like, like, and, and now that I'm like older, it's like, I've got to do way more in order to get my brain to the point where it's like engages like that. It's, it's exactly like doing push-ups or something. It's like, used to be, I could do 20 push-ups a day and look like I was ripped. And now it's like, well, that'll be a hundred push-ups a day now. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's, so it's, but it, it's just all about like having a regimen and like fucking knowing the way you want to do it. I'm not saying my way is the right way. It's just the way that works for me. You know, I know Chris's works very differently than I do. Um, but you know, obviously great results. So it's like, I'm not saying I'm doing it the right way. I'm just doing it the way that works for me. So you know, I think that's that's really helpful to consider then in the context of the record that we're here to talk about. I'd rather die than live forever. It's the first offering of Brendan Kelly and the Wandering Birds. So this dropped in March of 2012, uh, but in 2010 you did a split with Joe McMahon of Smoke and Fire, some acoustic versions of Lawrence Armstrong, including "There's No Place Like a Stranger's Floor" and uh, "Kiss the Bottle Cover." But Wandering Birds, it's definitely, this is a very separate thing from that. Yeah, um, the the Joe McMahon split is funny. Um, Joe asked me if I want to do a split with him. And um, I was like, an acoustic split? <laughs> I don't know about this. Like, you know, like, I'm just in a band. I'm not, like, a great guitar player. I'm not a great singer. Like, this is... Really, it doesn't look, you know, I don't see the advantage of it. And he's like, my friend Neil will put it out. Well, anyway, then I sort of, as he was talking, I was like, oh, but, you know, remember when you passed out at that party and Joe Fireman carried you back to your hotel room? You really <laughs> owe him pretty much anything. And I, at first, I was like, Joe, let's call the record Now or Even. <laughs> you know, but that, that, was, that was just more a joke. I mean, the, the, the honest truth is, like, Joe McMahon is fucking wonderful dude and i would do anything for him even if he hadn't carried me out of that party but uh <laughs> uh it, it doesn't hurt that i as proof that he is such a wonderful guy uh there you go um and he you know introduced me to the guy who's gonna put it out neil shulman who does anchorless records and uh neil's now uh my lawyer my entertainment lawyer so uh it, it ended huh. up being being a really cool thing, and uh, you know, Neil was like, "What do you need for an advance to do this record?" And I was like, "A twelve pack." No, I said, 
I don't have a good acoustic guitar. If I can go to the store and find an affordable, good acoustic guitar, that's all. That's all I want. Like I don't want any like other cash up front or anything like that. If, but I won't be able to do the record unless I have a good guitar. Mm-hmm. And um, I should hope that he's made that money back in spades by now because it, <laughs> you know, it, and it's a very nice guitar. It's the one I still travel with, but it also sort of in a very real way. I don't just bring this up to be like, yeah, I got a guitar, you know. Uh, it's it, like having that nice acoustic guitar sort of like opened my mind to trying to experiment with doing stuff just like more me and the guitar. Things that were different, a little more nuanced than uh, just like power chord punk rock like I've been doing in the Lawrence Arms and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so um, while you're right, these are very different projects the germ of what would eventually become the wandering birds was definitely somehow uh you know uh, fertilized by this project that the the split with joe and all the sort of like ancillary uh trappings and things that went along with it you know mm-hmm. not the least of which was like finally having a nice instrument to play on that I didn't have to plug in. Yeah, definitely. What kind of guitar was it? Uh, it's a, like a 96 Gibson. It's not like super fancy or anything, but it's, it yeah. sounds terrific. You, you, you get something I think out of just a, a new, uh, a little bit of a nicer thing to work with. It's got a really great pickup in it. Um, which is a whole nother story that I'll tell some other time, but it's a, I, I, for a second, I had the only person that had a better endorsement at Seymour Duncan than me was Slash, because <laughs> uh, <laughs> we made a really good impression on these uh, reps. After one day of playing terribly, and then the next day of playing amazingly, and they're like, "We don't believe that was the same band." It's unbelievable. <laughs> um, but I also have a very, very nice '71 uh, Martin, and I'm acoustic, and I, I am afraid to even take it out of the case yeah you know like i, I like I, I bring it into the studio matt allison when i brought it in i think actually for this record no no i didn't get it until after this record was recorded but i brought it into the studio one time maybe during metropole um and he was like this might be the nicest instrument i've ever seen in my life and i was like okay it's settled i'm never gonna touch this thing ever again so, so <laughs> you know there, there is like a the paralysis of beauty right you know it's like what like what the prom queen's like yeah no one asked me to dance it's like right everyone's terrified of you it makes sense so i'm happy to have my I'm happy to have my, like, smoking behind the pet store acoustic guitar, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> down for some partying. Oh. I can ask, ask her to go out with me anytime. Yeah. <laughs> Paralysis of beauty, I tell you what. Tuesday yeah. afternoon Skype sessions. I know what that's all about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so the key, though, to, to um, how we get from Brendan Kelly... To Brendan Kelly and the Wandering Birds is what? Mm. Or who? Well, okay. So Nick Martin, who's the other um, wandering... No. Okay. This is 
there's so much that goes on here. I had been doing, you know, I came off the Lawrence Arms and the Falcon record, didn't do anything until Butt, Sweat, and Tears. And then when it was time for, like, when I got to the point where I wanted to do something else, I'd written a bunch of songs that were strange. And at this point, uh, I think I tried to shoehorn this into the last episode where I said that my son had been born, so I didn't have as much time. Mm-hmm. This was actually the the batch of songs where that was the case. And I had written um, a couple of songs, um, and I went out to my friend Eric Hallberg's house, who lives in Colorado, and his buddy Sean Astrom was there. Sean Astrom produces, like, huge EDM records um, in, uh, you, you know, like, the, for, like, mostly mm-hmm. the European and South American market, I think. Oh, hell he, yeah. He, he's, like, he's the kind of guy that, like, builds computers. And it's like, if you have a Mac, he's like, uh, oh, so you don't know anything. You're, you know, it's like, it's like, you're just going to use some other guy's operating system, which I understand. It's like, if you, if, if you're that fluent, if you're Neo, yeah. you know, it's like, you're, you're definitely going to laugh at people that just live in the matrix and don't even fucking dodge bullets, you know? Uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, he just happened to be over and I was like playing a song on the guitar because Eric's the kind of guy that like gets stoned and he's always got a guitar and he's like, uh-huh. here's a song. And then he's like, you play a song. And I played it and they were both like, that sounds cool. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, we're down in the basement. Sean Astrom has set up a click track and I'm playing the man with a passion of Tennessee Williams song. Mm-hmm. And because I'm like in such a different environment, I mean, these two guys are not punks at all. It's like Eric is a hippie. Like he's like wearing like a. As we speak, I guarantee he's wearing a Frodo Baggins hat and some sort of like hipster leaderhosen or something like that. Uh, and uh, and Astrum is an EDM guy, uh-huh. you know. And so all of like the sort of ideas I had about making this song like a little more of like a dancey, like kind of like post-punk kind of disc like that that disco per se but whatever like like that late funk post-punk it's all part of like the same time period right except for i would really really not funk there's no funk going on well i'm saying like if you get into like late temptations it's basically disco but it's still funk and then like six months later disco is basically what the temptations were doing but a little bit right. cleaner right yeah and it's like when punk sort of like like slid into being disco like sort of with like combat rock mm-hmm. you know stuff like that which is like not to diss combat rock at all i you know i know people fucking have their very strong opinions on it both ways i'm not one of those people uh but there's no denying that like rock the casbah's got like a fucking disco influence oh yeah you know, uh, anyway, um, so all of a sudden I'm like playing into all these impulses I had and I was not afraid to be like, let's try this, let's try this because the people I was talking to don't know anything about punk rock. Mm -hmm. And, and so then we did that for a night and that was it. You know, like I was just, uh, 
drinking and didn't think too much of it. And then like a few weeks later, they sent me a mix, which is the one that's on the record. Mm -hmm. It was done. And I was like, oh, fuck. I'm like, I want to do this. This is cool as shit. Like I'm into trying to push where, where like the Mm -hmm. shit came from, Mm -hmm. you know? And it was just like, and so that I, and then, so Eric and his wife and kids are like, they're like good family friends with us. So whenever we go to Colorado, my wife's from Colorado and we go there a Mm -hmm. lot or used to, you know, when you could still travel the earth and stuff, uh, (laughs) the, so we, we ended up out there like the next, you know, month or two later. And I had three more songs and it was, well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how we're going to structure this episode. I'm going to fucking play off I you. I feel but. like we're going to, let's, let's do it a little bit looser this time because I really like the, <laughs> I really like the final, uh, the finalized product. And I feel like the process to getting there is, is a lot different from everything else. So I like the idea of like putting this together, uh, as the songs come together. If you're, yeah. if you're cool with it, we can loosen our ties a little bit this week. Yeah, no, no, that, 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 I think that I think that's great. So the next three songs that I brought in uh, and had Astrum come over again for, and this was like I didn't know him the first time, mm-hmm. um, but the second time I was like, "Hey, Eric, I'm coming back to stay at your house. Let's get Astrum over and do some more shit." And the next three songs that we did were um, "Dance of the Doomed," mm-hmm. "Late Night Supersonic," "Elastic Bags," mm-hmm. and. Uh, um, Ramblin' Revisited, mm. right? Yeah. And what was really funny was when we were doing Dance of the Doomed, I was like, I want it to be kind of like that, like, Polish, like, folk, like, kind of almost polka beat. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, and he's like, I don't know what that is. Because he's like a... Yeah, yeah, You know? And I'm like, you know, it's like... And he's like, yeah, okay, so how do I program that? And I'm like, yeah, okay, you got me. I don't know. I have no idea how to program that, of course. Uh, Yeah, sorry for being like a dumb, Luddite asshole thinking I could just hum and you'll be able to like fucking work your wizardry. Yeah, Yeah, Mr. Operating System. So we fucking Google the beat. Uh-huh. Like on YouTube, oh and we look at how to how to build this like polka beat. Uh huh. And then he's like, "Oh yeah, I got this." And then he fucking lays it down, and uh, we do that one. We do late nights, supersonic, elastic bags, and e- in each of these, I'm just playing. I play the guitar and sing. That's it. Well, mm-hmm. I played I played the bass in all of them too. Um, and then I just did the acoustic. Um, for Ramblin' Revisited and sang. And then those dudes built out the rest of it on those four songs um, on Man with Passion, Tennessee Williams, um, Ramblin' Revisited, Dance the Doomed, and Late Night Supersonic Elastic Bags. The backing vocals are all sung by Eric Hallberg. He plays the bass on... Well... He plays the bass on Ramblin' Revisited, 
and then um, he got his buddy Cole Rudy, who was this. I'd, I'd say he's this kid, but he's a man. I mean, he's a you know man in his thirties <laughs> now. Uh, right. But he he used to be like a big Broadway's fan. So Eric was like, oh, "Hey, cool. the guy from the Broadway's has this thing, and he needs like you want to bring your mandolin over and do this." Mm-hmm. And I wasn't there when they did that, but beautiful uh, the way that turned out. But they all those guys all like used their sort of strengths. And because Astrum is so busy, because, I mean, I think it's like, we need something new for tomorrow in the Biza, you know? Like, it's, uh, he's got to, like, you know, and he's, like, literally, like, building sounds. Like, you know, mm-hmm. he's not just, like, using logic and, like, taking, like, an 808 that's, like, a class. Like, he's, like, a creator of the actual sonic presence or whatever. So, mm-hmm. so like, he's busy and in a very, like, granular way. So it took fucking forever to get these back because, I mean, also I'm just some jack off in Chicago that's like, hey, how about my weird polka song? Can I hear that, please? You know? <laughs> but when that shit finally came through, the the Ramblin' Revisited came through last. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the first three came in and I was like, oh, there's really something here. This is... A cool, cool thing. It's like got a sleazy rock and roll vibe. Like mm-hmm. I like this kind of like. Now that all these are coming together, it's like it's got this like real like greasy like oil stained puddles in the alleys kind of like fucking thing totally. going on, like mm-hmm. dirty alley cat thing. And then uh, then my wife actually went out to. Colorado again and was with her parents at Eric's house and they all called me and they're like this song of yours just made us all cry and I'm like the fuck are are you talking about I'm like what do you mean this song of mine and they had heard like the final mix of Ramblin' Revisited with the uh, mandolin and stuff and I had never heard it Mm -hmm. the only thing I ever said is I was like I want it to be like a cone I want it to start out with just the guitar and then you slowly build and you slowly build and you keep adding instruments into it and then they never go out of it mm-hmm. until the very end. That's I want it to be built like a cone. That was yeah. the only direction I gave them and that's what they came up with. And it's just like, you know, Tim, we've talked man, I'm talking a lot. This is a big monologue, I apologize. But No uh, way, dog. But um we talk a lot about how I'm like I I've said many times on this podcast that I've been so lucky to have been surrounded by people that are just so fucking talented and like this is an example of that where it's just i mean cole rudy eric hallberg and sean astrom being like this team that i just like slipped fucking dick over tits into uh in order to fucking and like those songs are all that's the final mixes that are on the record yeah you know like Something I just did like in one take in a basement, and but it's really pretty incredible. That is amazing. Like I, there's there's so much to unpack just in that. But I, I mean, the first thing that I feel like it's worth mentioning is the fact that you have a song here that's about like being kind of in the middle. You're you're stuck in this spot where you're like. Looking back, you've seen 
people around you go into different places and you've done so much great work with a collection of people that is, you know, connected to all the way back to your like adolescent life. And the idea that you're finding people like these guys when you're, you know, in your, in your mid thirties and sort of like, you know, looking back at where everybody else has gone, you know that you're going to like continue to make great music with Chris and Neil and Matt and Danny and all those people. But here's a whole new like set of people to help you get to a totally new place in your writing. That has to be like so exciting and fulfilling. It totally was. And like, uh, it was really that sort of, um, I would say happy accidental collaboration with Astrum and Hallberg and Cole is what completely opened my mind to the opportunity to be able to do anything, uh, you know, that I wanted to do. Um, and you know, as the thing that happened with this record is I got home and their timeline was just so fucking slow and that is no diss on them. Mm-hmm. They're all busy guys, and they they have no reason to fucking rush my project. I mean, so, but so I was like, I can't like write songs and send them out there. I mean, it'll take me five years to make this mm-hmm. record if I do it like that. But I, you know, talked to Toby about it, and I was like, I want to put out this record. These are some of the songs, and he's like. Shit's fucking wild, but it sounds good as hell. He's like, what do you think about these guys mixing it? And so mm-hmm. they ended up being the dudes that mixed it. Um, and guess what? It took fucking forever. <laughs> uh, it... <sighs> It's the fucking EDM slash hippie work ethic, man. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I'm teasing. Like, I, I owe a great debt to those guys. And they all did such a killer job. Um, and we'll get into the mixing process later on and whatever. But, uh, yeah, it's there's there's more there. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I think Ramblin' Revisit is it's a good one to look at now because I feel like this is the, the most – um, plain expression of where your life is at at this point. You're looking back to a song that you wrote uh, ten years ago, essentially. Yeah. Right. Am I? I'm not. Ramblin' Ramblin' Revisited is the Ramblin' Boys of Pleasure, right? Yes, of course. Yes. I, I knew it. I knew it. Nice work. I think that like this look back is, you know, kind of a kind of telling on. And where you are, like you're in a very different position from having hash oil and and writing a a, a word every ten minutes. Yes, yeah, <laughs> in yeah. Germany. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, I think I think this song is like, there's, this is one of my favorite songs I've ever written. I mm-hmm. would I would say, I, I mean, if. Fucking somebody walked in here right now and put a gun to the back of my head and was like, what's your favorite song you've ever written? I would say this one. You know, I'd have to think in order Mm -hmm. to come up with uh, 
another one that I like this much. I feel like it just... It doesn't have to be your favorite. I'm not saying it's the best song I've ever written. It just... To me, it, like, hits my... What I'm interested in representing myself as the best. Right? And um, Mm -hmm. it's funny... Uh, when Eric was mixing this song, Eric Hallberg in Colorado, his wife was listening to it and she's like, such a sweet love song. This first verse, it's so sweet. And he's like, I'm pretty sure this is about whiskey. (laughs) (laughs) And it very much is, but I mean, that's the, that's the idea, right? You know, it's like, Beaded with sweat, smooth going down, soft to the touch, just a few cubes, right? Yeah, it's a fucking great couplet. Knocking me out. Mm-hmm. This keeping me hard. This is the greatest heavenly reward. It's not supposed to be, hey, please stop hammering things. Um, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, uh, but it's... Like, there's supposed to be a little misdirection there because, I mean, it's, like, it's hard, like, um, that was actually inspired by the, the Sean Nader lyric, uh, from his segment of, uh, uh, um, Nautical Mile, mm. which was, this comes a thousand and one thousand hard hands, you know, mm-hmm. and I always think of, like, hard hands, hard skin, hard breath, like, that kind of thing is, like, being associative with strong drink, right? Yeah. And, uh, and so, like, that's what keeping me hard was like, it's obviously an entendre. I mean, especially in the context of the record. Right. But it's, uh, so many dicks on this record. <laughs> yeah. A lot of dicks on this record, but a lot of them I think are a little more tasteful than you might think. Uh, Hey, I, I'm yeah. pro. I'm pro. <laughs> yeah. But so the beginning is, I mean, like, you know, I, I think, The idea of the beginning of the song is like, man, I've replaced my passions with boozing and I've watched mm-hmm. these other people replace their passions with other things. And I don't necessarily aspire to that. And I don't know that I aspire to anything, you know, and uh, I just mm-hmm. want to fucking... I'm, I'm going to ramble on, man. You know, that's like the end of the first part of the song, right? Mm-hmm. The second part of the song is about, like, the hobos fucking in the, in the train yards just, like, fucking drinking and eating beans and shit like that. Yeah. And then it's the, like, the big sort of, I don't know what you'd call it, the chorus or whatever is, here we come, that's... You know, uh, I'm ready or not, you're here I come from Rambling Boys of Pleasure. Yeah. You know? I love it. Now here we come. You know, it's like... Uh Uh-huh. I think, like, yeah, that, like, folksy Americana, like, that fucking Woody Guthrie type of shit is... It's so strangely universal, you know, in it, it feels like it's from a different time, but it's also to, it's always, it always feels prescient to me. Yeah. And I also think that this was a time when, um, when this record came out or when this record was being written, I should say that like 
that like Americana resurgence in no small part because of, you know, Brian Fallon's output mm-hmm. and the, yep. just up front. I just want to say Brian Fallon is an amazing songwriter. Uh, he's an old dear friend of mine. I admire him greatly. I rip off his music constantly. Mm. I think he's the best. If anything in this sounds like I'm talking shit about Brian Fallon, I assure you, I would rather fight you than agree with you. Uh, like I, I love, I love Brian Fallon. Nothing I'm saying is talking shit about Brian Fallon, but the sort of thing that he created or brought back into vogue, I should say. This song was very much me being like, oh, fuck you, nerds. I'll show you a good fucking song about fucking, you know, like, you you, you, want, to, you want to talk to fucking old days and Americana? How about this? You know, mm-hmm. here's a bunch of hobos fucking hiding from train yard guards eating beans. Like, it, it, fucking keep yep. your goddamn fucking jean jackets, man. Like, like I, you know. I'm not playing pinball because I'm sitting by a fire that's in an oil drum yeah exactly and uh again i think brian fallon's one of the best in the universe um there's no shade his direction at all it was the subsequent uh you know tide of Mm -hmm. things where yeah he he definitely shifted so much in punk rock at that time we're probably gonna end up talking about him in a lot in a few like indirect ways with this record i definitely like you know can track that too when he's uh got you know he's got references to that billy bragg and wilco record that's what he got three songs and it's all like it's in a lot of different time periods and and yours is yours is I think it's extraordinarily lived in and it doesn't feel like you're really reaching in any way. It's like, here's, here's like the time period that I think you would excel in, (laughs) you know, and being a, being a traveling, like storytelling dude with a bindle and a fifth of something. Yeah. Well, you know, I have this tattoo, um, in the, I don't know if you can see it there. I mean, you can't really see it at all Mm. on the podcast, but it's a bindle and it's two jugs with my friend's initials on them. And it says Rover. Like when I was a young man, I carried my pack and I lived the free life of a Rover. So Uh the first line of the band played Waltzing Matilda by the Pogues. Fuck yeah. Right? Yeah. And uh, this is my friends, Pete and Marcus. Uh, My friend, Pete. Marcus Kretzman, uh, who's the famous painter or something, mm-hmm. uh, and then Pete <laughs> Anna, who's my friend Peter uh, from the Alkaline Trio song. Oh my god! And all three of us have this tattoo, but um, this is the bindle I'm referring to uh-huh. in the song when it says, yeah. "Now this here bindle is all I have to show for the rambling I did in my past." Mm-hmm. It is specifically about this tattoo on my arm. Um, that's a beautiful thing, man. I got a I got a tattoo right on the uh, on this crazy scar that I got on my belly from my surgery. I got a tattoo that says "A Close Call." Nice. You, what you guys didn't see is that uh, Tim had his penis out, and it's like got a little 
the happy birthday hat on it. And it doesn't have anything to do with my child's birthday. It's just I feel like he's always wearing that. Thanks for uh, making that part clear. <laughs> dude, dude, you're, you're two kids with these inside birthdays. Yeah, kind of planned. Um, the idea was that if you have a kid in spring, um, you can be pregnant all winter and then, you know, you can get out, kind of walk around in spring and then by summer, you don't think the kids are going to die. Uh, uh-huh. You know, like every minute of the day. And so you can actually kind of enjoy your summer. Have some margaritas. I love it. I love it. Um, so we um, we did talk a little bit about Nick Martin. So we've got we've got these four songs that you have from Denver. They're all really really fucking different, and I think that that's a that's a cool point to make too. Going into this is that you got you got Rambling Revisited. Uh, but then you've also got a man with a passion of Tennessee Williams. Like those are on such opposite, uh, sides of a spectrum in terms of just musicality. So sure. Are you, um, you know, how are you thinking about it with the, the fact that, okay, you do this thing and then you do this like really out there thing. Uh, how do you want to like fill the space in between or do you want, the the uh the different spots to go even further out um no what what it was was i had this little batch of songs that i really was excited about and they were very different and i was like the last thing i want to do is bring in a sensibility that could possibly turn this into something that sounds like the lawrence arms like i have mm-hmm. just staggered into being able to define myself outside of being a guy in a punk rock band. Like, because these songs I felt like at the time, and, you know, I don't care. You can agree or disagree. But for me, in my own little way, I felt like they were very different. And, uh, And I was like, oh, you know, like, I mean, Neil Hennessy is like my life partner in music. Like uh, we talk about it all the time. It's like, I will always need you, Neil. And mm-hmm. he's, you know, he's like, yeah, I, I got you, man. You know, like, like that's, we like, I've, I've said to him a million times. I'm like, as long as I've got a job, you've always got a job. I, you know, uh, as long as you don't hate my guts. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, which, Dude, I, I mean, that, even if you, yeah. even if, even if Neil hates me, he still can have a job. But I just mean, if he hated me so much, he didn't want to be by me anymore. Uh, uh-huh. But, um... Dude, hold on to your drummer. Like, for real. No, he's... Listen, I, seriously, and, I mean... Neil, Chris, Nick Martin, national treasures, man. I mean, I'd be a mm-hmm. fool to fucking try to do but you get the idea uh but the point is i didn't want to fall into the sensibility that i had i have with neil where it's like almost um it's almost telekinetic you know like we can start playing a song and we'll both it really interestingly when we were recording the most recent lawrence arms record and we did like a few little rehearsals i mean 
the first time we'd ever play through something, we'd both do like a like things like that that were not on the demos at all. Mm-hmm. But we were just so locked. We're so locked into the way each other play, you know, as being yeah. like this rhythm section for so long. And and which is not to take away from the fact that Chris also has that same like fucking psychic hive mind in this whole thing. But you know, in 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 this project where I'm all of a sudden playing guitar and I'm looking for a drummer or a percussionist or somebody to make beats or whatever the fuck it is, um, I was like, Neil Hennessy is not the right answer because it will end up. I we will fall into that hive mind and it will end up sounding like everything else. You right. know, like yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and I don't mean everything else. I mean everything else that we've done. It's kinda like bands like switch and producers just for the sake of like I need something to push in a different direction. Totally. Well, here's the thing. Nick is we've been making music since we were eleven or twelve years old. He's mm-hmm. like an unbelievable he's a real genius he's amazing at every instrument um he like figured out how to like rig up four tracks to record like 24 tracks on like a single cassette like when he was 11 or 12 Mm -hmm. like he's he's got the gift man and you know when all of a sudden i'm like who do i know that i'd like to make these songs with that's you know, not in the punk scene at all. Holy fuck, Nick. And I was already jamming with Nick. We were doing like these like weird country songs and stuff like that, mm-hmm. which I have weird tapes of that sometime I should just fucking release. I think it would be funny, but. Yep. Uh, or send them to me. Yeah, well, or I could probably do both. Uh, but, um. Yeah, but, I mean, you don't have to just send them to me. Yeah. It's like, I. You heard it here first, folks. Tim said he just wants the, the tapes at the expense of you guys hearing them. No, I'm uh, saying that I, I'm comfortable enough with our our bond, our friendship. No, no, I understand. I understand. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but so, Nick what, was, like, the obvious person to do this. And, you know, Nick's a virtuoso guitar player, uh, unbelievable bass player, bass is his first instrument, Um He's an amazing pianist. He knows his way around, like, midis and, like, drum machines and all that kind of stuff. And he's a drummer in the most classical, like, British Invasion kind of Ringo Starr kind Mm -hmm. of way. And I was like, those drums will ensure Uh that this doesn't sound like the Lawrence Arms, you know? And so that was where Nick sort of came on board. And, uh, you know, and that is, you know, by the second record, we added Dan Tinkler, he and Derek Grant to, you know, make up the, uh, the team much like we had Astrum and Hallberg on this one, but Mm -hmm. the, the real like basic fundamentals of, uh, the wandering birds. I mean, Nick is the one. The, the the band should be called Nick Martin and the Wandering Birds. Really, all I do is sing and play guitar. He's 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 the fucking genius. So what um, what was Nick doing at the time? Um, and was it? Did you have to push him at all to like go in on the project full scale, or he was down for it? 
Nick was uh, teaching film production at Columbia College, uh-huh. um, downtown Chicago. And um, he and I had recently made a feature-length film. And one oh. of one of the things that was interesting to me about this was I was like, dude, let's make this record. It's not a punk rock record. You and me can like lean into this and we can use all these songs in the movie. We don't have to pay any rights for anything. And then like it can mm-hmm. hype, you know, and I can fucking put this out with our record label. And then if the movie does well, the fucking record will do well. And then we'll, you know, have like a really cool thing going on. And so me and Nick, have always been like you know fast friends and collaborators and he's like one of those guys that makes me uh if nick's around i'm a lot more witty and funny than i am just in general uh you know he's he's like one of those people that brings out the best in me Totally. totally you know and um and so i really always like having him around um that sounds so like no, dude. Arrogant I, or whatever. But I, I'm the funniest I, but, in front of my best friends, I think. Yeah, but it, but it's like, you know, it's like the people that bring out the best in you, usually it's because they're smarter and funnier than you, right? And you, like, play to their level. And and so, mm-hmm. like, I, I, I like I like being in that room with him and, and being like, yes, I will I will play to your level, Nick. You know, I'll, I'll be this, this fast and this funny with you because... Lord knows if I slow down for a second, you're going to tell like 25 jokes and then fucking, <laughs> 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 they're awesome. Uh-huh. But, uh, but, but so, um, I don't remember what the fuck I was talking about, but yeah. I am so intrigued by this movie. Can we talk about this movie? Yeah, man. Uh, we made a movie. I, I wrote it with my friend, Johan, who was the foreign exchange student in our high school from Norway. He actually lives within the Arctic Circle. Uh-huh. Um, or he used to. He lives in Belgrade now with his old lady, I think. But uh, we were not really friends for most of the time that he was, um, you know, my classmate. Mm-hmm. And then, like, near, like, in the spring, like, probably about right now, he and I fucking connected, and all of a sudden we were like, Oh, this was stupid. We should, we should have been best friends all year. This is dumb. Uh-huh. And then and then he kind of bounced and you know, went to uh he ended up going to like Cambridge or something like that and then he was like writing for the Guardian for a long time and I reconnected with him somehow through somebody that had stayed in touch with him from my high mm-hmm. school class. And uh and all of a sudden we're talking and we're talking about like projects and shit we could do. And we started writing this movie and, um, Johan, as I said, he lives in the Arctic, uh, but in a town in Norway, that's like famous for this local beer. Right. Uh And, uh, and so we started just like sort of riffing off that. And basically the movie, the movie's called buzzard country. And mm. it's about two burnouts in a small town in Wisconsin, uh, like a brewery town, and it opens the day after the brewery shuts down, right? So, yeah. like, there's, like, a sort of economic collapse in a small town, and it's, uh, 
It's like a dick joke comedy. I mean, like, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. Like, it's it's got like the like it it's it's not like going for Oscars or anything. It's a funny. It's a comedy movie. Uh huh. You know, and um, uh, yeah, it's like about really really bad criminals. Um, to, like uh, I think like Repo Man. Mm, no, it's. It's more like Police Academy too. Okay, I mean, oh. like it's, it's it's an unabashed uh-huh. comedy. You know, like uh, it's aim it high, a, right? <laughs> I I think that is aiming high. I mean, like I I like those kinds of movies. You know, mm-hmm. just like mm-hmm. just like movies that aren't trying to be, or like Vacation or something yeah. like that. You know, mm-hmm. like movies that are, are just like. A little bit offensive. You kind of laugh, like, through your hands at it. And, uh, I mean, like, there's tits in the movie, you know? <laughs> like, oh, we, like, sick. <laughs> yeah. We, no, it's, like, we tried to really, like, play into, like, the the template of those, like, sort of, like, 80s, 12-year-old boy comedies. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know? Sure. Um, and we came ridiculously close to getting it distributed um, like we got like high powered, like literally like Park Avenue lawyers. Uh, uh, we, I, I had a meeting with the president of Showtime and the president of Fox Searchlight Whoa. and the president of TriStar. Uh-huh. And everybody was fucking into it. The movie was pretty much done. And then nobody moved yeah. on it. And it kind of poisoned it. It became well-known enough, I think, in, like, sort of, like, the circles of Hollywood for, like, that five minutes. I I doubt Mm -hmm. any of those people even still work in any of those jobs now. Right, right. Because of the nature of the business. But then it was like, oh, oh, buzzard country. Yeah, you know, I heard that uh, Fox, Searchlight, and uh, TriStar, you know, and Showtime all passed on that. You know, it Mm -hmm. it was kind of like the girl in your high school class. That you're like, she's really hot, but like nobody else seems to think so. So like, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, like I don't know what I don't. That's understand. Seinfeld with uh, Christine Taylor, where she's like great and so cool and so good looking, and nobody else sees it. And he's like, "What?" Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, and I think it kind of got poisoned in that regard. And then Nick went back and started re-editing the shit out of it and had all these fucking ideas about, like, why, like, how to make it better. And now I think it's just in pieces, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. So it it was a project that, like, flew very close to the sun, and uh, it took a lot of time and energy and love and, I don't know, I wish something had happened with it, but I don't even know how I would put it back together and, like, distribute it at this right. point. Right. I I mean that's that's a fucking chance that you took. That's like it's you know, it's sad that it didn't follow through, but like fuck man, that that took a lot of dedication. Oh, dude, when the way I ended up with all those meetings was I had read an interview with uh Jim, who's a singer of Pennywise, and it just happened they're like, What are you doing right now? He's like Driving in my car, listening to the Lawrence Arms, one of my favorite bands. 
right? And then, and I was like, really? That's, I, okay, that's awesome. And then uh, I saw a few weeks later that his documentary, uh, the other F word, mm-hmm. what it was called, um, was premiering at South by Southwest. And I was like, I'm going to go down there with this DVD of the trailer of this movie. I'm going to meet Jim Lindbergh. Mm-hmm. I'm going. And so I fucking bought a plane ticket that morning. Two hours later, I'm on the plane. Holy shit. Two hours later, I call my booking agent who also booked Pennywise at the time. And I was like, I'm down here. Um, any chance you want to tell me where Jim from Pennywise is at? She's like, let me call him. <laughs> All of a sudden, he calls me. He's like, come over to my hotel. I have no place to stay. I have no clothes. I mean, like, I booked the ticket and drove straight to the airport. Um, wow. Uh, I gave him the DVD of the trailer after, like, bullshitting with him for a while. Um, and then he was like, dude, this looks awesome. I got some people I want you to meet. And it, like, all spiraled from there. And um, then I was like, I'm going to need a place to stay at South by Southwest (laughs) where I don't know anyone. And I called somebody, maybe Toby. And I was like, dude, what am I going to do? And he's like, dude, call Mike Weeby from the gamblers. And I'm like, I don't know Mike that well. He's like, here's his number. And, I'm like, hi, Mike. I'm Brendan from the Lawrence (laughs) Arms. And long story short, now Mike Weeby is somebody I had to do a split acoustic record with. I mean, he's Mm -hmm. fucking like, uh, (laughs) he he was just took me in as though we were old best friends and, and like we didn't hardly know each other at all. We are like kind of cut from the same cloth a little bit. Uh-huh. Same kind of like people, you know, um, and but what a, it was so wonderfully lucky, uh, and I didn't end up with a fucking great movie, but I ended up with a great friend. So uh, there you go. That's that's the story of Buzzard Country. Yeah, man. I mean, God, I I just feel like the uh, the adrenaline of all of that is something you can't really uh, manufacture. No, a lot of a uh, lot of margaritas to stop from <laughs> just like shaking. Yeah, completely. yeah, yeah. What's the like? Oh, man, I would just love a uh, just love a video of you explaining to your family. I uh, hey, I'm I'll be I'll be back. <laughs> well, well, you know the, the the fact is that like they'd seen me for two months leave every morning at like four thirty AM and then come home at eight o'clock. Sure. Because yeah. I was, you know, scouting, filming. I mean, I was I directed the movie and I was in it as well and I helped to edit it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I wrote it. So it was like they'd seen this process going on for a very long time. And uh so when I sort of explained it, my wife was like, Yeah, this is like this is the move. Yeah, that's you awesome. Know? Because, right, I mean, like, right, right. Because it is the move. It's like uh-huh. you, you have to fucking. I I believe was it fucking Socrates said uh, 
Uh, Socrates. It's, if 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 you had one shot, would you take it or let yeah, it pass that was you by, definitely right? Socrates. <laughs> yeah, like uh, like sand in the hourglass. So are the days of our lives. Yeah. Dust, yeah. wind. Yeah, yeah, dude. I mean, I think that makes a lot more sense than like my uh, my vision of you basically being like, I'm going to clown college. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't think anyone was expecting him to say that. <laughs> so, I mean, it, this is uh, this is really helpful for the you know the conversation because obviously, just judging by the cover and the lyrics and the thank yous, there's something very cinematic happening here totally and um I, I don't get to see you anymore is that what's going on what are you naked or something what's that i don't get to see you anymore is that what's happening what do you mean you turn you don't your, see me no you turned off your camera i just see tc oh uh, how's that there there you go oh that's weird hi oh um good to see you um <laughs> the man with the passion of tennessee williams definitely came out first it was the thing weirdly enough like the preview that I used to, um, you know, entice Jim from Pennywise into caring about my hour movie, um, Man with Passion, Tennessee Williams, is the piece of music I used to entice Nick into caring about this record. Mm -hmm. um, and it appeared in the trailer that I gave to Jim. Actually, so that was done before everything else. As I told you, the timeline of the hippie and the EDM guy was slow. It was leisurely. Um, even once we started paying them, we, you know, and we, and we, you know, we hired them to, to mix the record right. uh, by the end. But, um, but yeah, uh, there, the whole thing, it was like the, the time of creativity here was like me working with Nick and Nick, and I have, like, all, we used to make comic books when we were little kids. We used to make short mm -hmm. films. Like, we we, we started making movies together when we were, like, 16. Um, and, you know, so it was <laughs> a very tiny, not that good, like, Warholian factory. Uh, sure. <laughs> it was, like, the <laughs> two of us. And it would be like, all right, what, what's the next part of this? Okay, some songs? Great. Okay, a movie? Cool. You know, like, it just, like... Uh, he's a real creative force and I really feed off his energy quite a bit. And, mm -hmm. and you know, he likes to work the controls. He likes to he, he likes to build foundations, stuff like that. He is very much not interested in being up in front and like mm -hmm. it cho like controlling or leading things like that. Um, yeah. And when we talk about the, the next Water and Birds record, uh, we fell into those roles so completely that uh, – because obviously I'm very much the opposite. You know, like the mm -hmm. things like audio engineering and like the finer points of like um, uh, tone, stuff like that. It's like I know what I like, but I'm not – I don't like to make it my bitch. Do you know what I mean? Like I like uh, what, what I'm totally. What I'm trying to say is, I'm not a master of tone. I can't control it. Just uh, you know, 
through force of will. Like I gotta kind of get get lucky. Nick can take. I bet Nick could take a fucking TV tube and give you the best guitar sound out of it you've ever heard. You know what I mean? Like it's a very, <laughs> yeah, it's a very yeah, yeah. different thing. But he would never want to stand in front of a room and talk extemporaneously about anything. Like it's not that he couldn't do it. He's fucking smarter and funnier than me. But it's just not his style. Uh, mm-hmm. You know. So, but but like lyrically on the on the record, there's there's the tone. These are all dark songs. Uh, there's a lot of um, you know murder. And a lot of uh, other uh, bad behavior going on, but you're writing to that like tone. You want this to have uh, something that is, you know, murderous. It, it fits in with this movie that you're talking about of uh, some criminals being criminal. Mm, okay, so I see where you're coming from, but no, not really. Okay, first of uh-huh. all, criminals in the movie are like extraordinarily good-hearted like one one of the uh like sort of uh climaxes dramatic climaxes in the movie is when they actually decide to get a gun and neither of them can even touch it you know what i mean it's not like yeah sure they're not like bad criminals they're idiots that Mm -hmm. got unwittingly drawn into a ring of very stupid crime um Mm -hmm. and uh meanwhile the sort of the themes on this record are much, much darker. I mean, there's some real fucking questionable shit on here, but that is not necessarily inspired by the movie at all. What it is inspired by is I read an interview. Um, I'm just going to fucking leave names out of this. Uh, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you can very easily. I've said this before, and I've not, but whatever. You could do a little research where uh, there is a prominent uh, woman in rock and roll talking about Tyler the Creator and mm-hmm. how he uses, you know, fucking he promotes rape culture through his lyrics. Right, essentially, mm-hmm. was the long and short of it. It was a lot more in depth than that, and it was like, how can we not condemn this? And it was really like, he's not allowed to do this. At kind of like very self righteous, mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, I'm not like a rape culture denialist or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, sure, sure. I agree that there is a fucked up amount of things that are allowed to go on in the name of, you know, boys will be boys and all that kind of shit that I really wish would be dealt with. Uh However, you're talking about fucking art, you know? And, like, I do not think... That you get to fucking cancel somebody for making art, especially if it's not like art that actually hurts somebody. I mean, if I'm making art, it, like ISIS could say that their videos of like burning people in cars is art, and I'd be like, eh, maybe, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you're murdering yeah, people. I don't like that. Uh, but like, I don't think that. Dostoevsky writing Crime and Punishment led to a fucking surge in people murdering their landladies. You know what I mean? And, and, and like, right. and it is, 
I feel like it's a very disingenuous premise. I feel like it is um, condescending to consumers of art to be like, oh, man, if you hear this, you're going to go off the fucking deep end. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it ignores the very real roots of almost anything, which is obviously mental health and, like, you know, like... To say that, like, somebody listened to a satanic record and then went out and killed a bunch of people, it's like, was it the satanic record? Right. Because that record's been listened to by millions of people, and, you Mm -hmm. know... Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh... It's... Yeah, I, I feel where you're coming from, for sure, because it's... It's like, we're... You know, we're still having this conversation. I think it's not quite as um as uh at the forefront as it was a couple years ago because now we're all inside and haven't showered for seven days but like the addressing violence towards women it's it's all important conversations but it's all basically just a continuation of like the same fucking shit as the judas priests yeah it's the satanic scare right it just comes back in just the same wave but just with different people whether it's marilyn manson or eminem or tyler the creator i think what's interesting about music is that music for whatever fucking reason in our culture it's there's such a like one-to-one relationship between singer and song that if somebody's singing about something it must mean that they believe in it Meanwhile, how many fucking movies do heroes go out and kill people? They're bad. Yeah. Like, do you think Keanu Reeves really is into just, like, shooting people in the head because they fucking killed a dog? Like, uh... like. Uh, well, that, I don't know about that as the example because I do believe that. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 I mean, like, it's... It, it, you know, to create art about something is not to endorse it. I mean, like, that's that's sort of my, like basic premise here is like how like you know and to call someone out by name and just like sort of call on this like this has to be fucking dealt with fuck this and i don't even fucking know tyler the creator i don't know him as a guy i don't know his music he could walk right into my basement right now and i'd be like hello can i help you i don't know who you are you know but like when i read (laughs) this i was just like no fucking way this is so the antithesis of the idea of anything I want to to associate with art, mm-hmm. right? And and like and again, I cannot stress enough. I believe that rape culture is a real thing. I um, I believe women. You know, like I fucking think that uh, Kavanaugh should not be on the Supreme Court. I don't know what you want me to say. Like I am an ally to the Uh last but at the same time i don't think you could just take somebody's art and go no fucking way here here's the thing you you hit on something before why art and uh music and creator are so inextricably bound because music is the only form of art where kids in high school are the number one most desired demographic consumer and everybody looks to them to tell them what's cool. Um, hmm. Like, you don't ever... 
say like what are, what novels are the kids reading or like what <laughs> what painting is hip in uh you know Greeley Junior High like right. <laughs> it's not like that it, music is the one thing where like you know if you write a novel and a bunch of like fart sniffing 50 year olds think it's great that's more validation probably than uh anything else at least in terms of like academic circles and like the way it looks on paper mm-hmm. I, I, you know um obviously Dude, i think that like not not to interrupt no, but no. i think that that like you know if there's a fucking book that like embodies the the spirit of a song in the way, way that we're talking about it right now it's catcher in the rye catcher in the rye didn't fucking kill john lennon that guy totally. with a lot of fucking problems in his head killed john lennon totally great example so anyway thanks dog i guess i guess i just want to skip through what i was gonna say because who cares i heard that after those songs were done with astrum and hallberg in colorado and for the rest of the record i was like oh you want to see a fucking record that suggests some things Mm -hmm. you know you, you you can't separate the art from the artist how about like i you know have been like vocally like you know pro-woman, pro-gay, like, you know, uh, pro-homeless, you know, anti-establishment since I was 16 years old. Half my life I've spent fighting the good fight here, and I'm going to write a record that you have no choice but to divorce from the artist. And it was purely because of that interview. Mm -hmm. This was my writing exercise for this one, Tim. Yeah, that's fucking fantastic. I love that. Um, dude, also, like, it, it, it's funny that, you know, as, like, we get, like, quote-unquote woke in, in culture, I have gone back to just the fact that you pointed out how racist Maury was in 2000, and I was just like, huh, never thought about it. I guess he's right. It's like fucking shit so ingrained, and it's like, yeah. Totally. yeah. I I know I I know uh I know where you're coming from as uh as a as a dude and I I think that you've been on uh you've been on the right side of pretty much everything for a very long time. So, well, thanks. I mean, I you know, I'm also an idiot and I, yeah. we all we all fucking <laughs> we all fucking make mistakes and do dumb stuff and I'm definitely not trying to imply that I haven't like probably said or done some things that have been hurtful and wrong and that I'd probably rather take back, but I try to make amends and I try to uh, also live my life going forward in a way that, you know, it's like sort of, I can, my beliefs can jive with, right? Dude, and, definitely. And yeah. I don't have a fucking problem with writing a bunch of hyper perverted songs that exploit the idea of like uh, creeps and uh, mm-hmm. drug addicts and you know murder and fucking salacious grossness. It it's just art. It can come from your imagination, and it can uh, you know it's the idea that it shouldn't. It's just like don't deny yourself. Everybody's got, everybody's got the ability to think of these things. It's just, yeah. You, the know. Thing, you know, the thing that, uh, that becomes 
weird about having this conversation is that there is definitely some dumbass that can listen to this and interpret it as like, yeah, see, that's why I fucking use the N word all the time. You know, like, like, mm-hmm. like and yeah. that's, but that's not, not, that's not your job to point. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> man. <laughs> you shouldn't do that. Okay. So just, just so, just so we've got that out there. Mm-hmm. This is not an excuse for things. What this is, is art is one thing living your life like a shithead that like, turns a blind eye to people's actual pain or things that hurt their feelings or things that hurt them physically is a whole different fucking thing. I, I don't know. I like, I hate the fact that I have to dance around this as much, but like just so we're clear. Yeah. Podcasts are nice. Cause you get the tone of people's voice. Mm-hmm. You understand where, where they're coming from. It's not like something that you read and then interpret. Um, that's why they're that's why they're the best. That's why we're gonna just keep on doing this forever. But I love the cover. I love uh you know, you got you got you and a cool Lady Gaga shirt and a good looking you got good stubble right now. This is a Jesse Pinkman stubble mm, on this he, cover. Well, you said Jesse Pinkman, which ruins what I was gonna say, which was you gotta kinda be born <laughs> Italian. Uh <laughs> to get that. But I mean it's like Yeah. It's such Dago stubble. Uh, yeah, that was that was fun. Um, ben Pierre, mm-hmm. who uh, you probably don't remember him, but we talk about him all the time. <laughs> you know, oh, I, I, I I say that as a joke because I was telling you that nobody ever remembers him. Oh. You know, say <laughs> so that waka waka, um, or maybe I didn't say that on the air. Hi Ben, he listens to all these. Um, I remember <laughs> you. Um, I, I called him up and I was like. Yeah, I want to do this thing. I want to be with a woman in a ski mask. I don't know any women, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know. Uh, and I kind of want to be on the back of a bus. And he came over to my house with this woman, Jillian. Um, she was super cool. And we got on the back of the bus. And we put on. she put on the ski mask. And the bus driver was like... Hey now, what the fuck is going on back there? <laughs> we were like, ma'am, we, we are just taking a few pictures. Uh, it'll be cool. And she's like, by the time we get to Irving Park, there's going to be people on this bus. You best get the, you best get off by then, okay? And we were like, yep, no problem. And so we just sat on the back of the bus and did that. Uh, it's the uh, the Lincoln bus, the eleven. Um, Fantastic. Because I, I know that was a question that you had. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we did that, and, uh, you know, I mean, Ben's an amazing photographer, so we yeah. got everything we needed. It's yeah. pretty cool. I think it's fun. Yeah, it's super fun. I love the fact that you didn't know Jillian beforehand, and she just happens to have what looks to be like a Alkaline Trio Sundials tattoo. Yeah, I think she has a Hot Water Music tattoo as well. She definitely is uh, somebody that's been in the the mix for a long time i just think that maybe we hadn't she looked familiar to me you mm-hmm. know and i hate for her to hear this and be like but we did meet before that and like, i but at this point it's been fucking eight years since that photo shoot i seem to remember us meeting for the first time there for know. sure for sure i love the uh the font that we got on here too and like just the featuring and with special guests, uh, it's feels like bonanza. 
Yeah, that well, that is all playing into the cinematic uh, part of this, really. Mm-hmm. Um, David Holtz, who does all our artwork, did this, and he just, you know, when I sort of gave him the basic rundown of like the liner notes and stuff like that, and I was like featuring these players, he's like, I'm gonna put this on the cover. What do you think about that? And I was like. All right, we're on the same page. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that, totally. And, and go do whatever the fuck you want, you know? And uh, I think he really knocked it out of the park with this layout. I think it looks terrific. Yeah, it's it's freaking awesome. I love the, the piece that Sean Nader's got uh, oh. in the liner notes. So fucking dope. Yeah, he, uh, he actually did two different 12 by 12 on, like, foam board different album covers uh-huh. but i was like sean i want you to do the album cover you know and he was like sure and then as was the eternal issue with this project they just came in too late and we'd already had the picture by ben because mm. i was just like i need this to be done so we had the picture and then so we put one of them in there they still both hang in my house today uh the alt covers by sean nader that's badass um yeah so before we get to the release on on March twenty sixth, twenty twelve, um, you put out "The Man with the Passion" of Tennessee Williams as the first single. You knew what you were doing by putting that out as the first single, dude. That was so fucking weird. Toby was like, "We're gonna we got to put out a single." Um, I don't want to cannibalize the record too much, so I need two more songs. And so I did uh, the acoustic version of um, Suffer the Children. And then me and Nick came in and wrote the song I'd Rather Die Than Live Forever. I wrote that. And then, like, I wrote it that night before. And I was like, let's record this. And we recorded it in a weird abandoned office building uh, the next morning. Huh. Um, And... I actually really like that song. I think it's super cool. We recorded the next morning, and then I gave it to Nick, and he like tweaked everything, and I think re-recorded a ton of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and when that seven inch came out, people were like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> They're like, "There's this fucking weird, like dead can dance post punk disco nonsense." And then it goes into, like, this fucking weird B-side hardcore song. And then this acoustic song that's actually pretty nice. And it's like, <laughs> did you listen to the words in that song? That's a fucking weird take. But uh, I think, you know, Toby and I are, like, on the same page. We disagree about a whole ton of shit, but we come together on a lot of things. I mean, he's the one of my best friends that I mean I've said this before probably on this podcast it would be easier for me to divorce my wife than to divorce Toby uh, sure she loves like, hearing that we're so <laughs> no I just mean in terms of like how hard it would be to actually separate mm-hmm. it's like he's the, he's the tour manager for the Lawrence Arms he's like manages me personally he's my best friend we do Red Scare together like everything that I do in like anything involved with music, he's a partner in, mm-hmm. you know, no matter what the project is, he's the tour manager for the Falcon, you know, uh, 
and for the Wandering Birds. And he's the booking agent for the Falcon and the Wandering Birds and for me solo. You know, like, literally, so we see eye to eye on a lot of stuff. We have different opinions about a lot of things when it comes to, you know, songs or how, like, a T-shirt looks or something like that. Um, I usually try to acquiesce to his opinions because I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. And it's like, I feel like I make the songs, Mm -hmm. you know? And he doesn't put any input into the songs, right? And doesn't try to. He's never like, this is stupid. Uh, So when it's like, this t-shirt looks dumb, I usually try to listen to him. He thought this 7-inch was a good idea. I think this would be the one time... And Toby does not like to admit that he was not right about things. I think this is the one time he'd be like, yeah, that 7-inch was a bit of a mistake. (laughs) Um... I like all three songs. Yeah. Um, it's a weird package to introduce a fucking new project, though. I, I feel like the... Um, I mean, maybe it was going to be inevitable with just the album itself and the song being on there, but presenting Tennessee Williams as, as the one, it's just like, you know, I think that uh, maybe since the first Public Image Limited single, we've had punk rockers telling us that punk rock fans are not uh not easy to please when it comes to doing something a little bit different sure i find that the um the sort of like resistance to it was understandable because i thought that that seven inch was like a mess of a conglomeration myself i just kind of trusted that i was wrong um it's one of the few times that I was actually right. And I, I don't mean that as a, in a self-depreciating way. Usually I'm wrong about that kind of thing. But uh, I said this to you yesterday when we talked on the phone in the pre-production meeting <laughs> for this very podcast, uh, Tim. This record, when it came out, was met with so many mixed reviews. And uh, what I said was, like, I'm like, you know what? History is going to redeem this fucking thing. It's like, I'm not worried about your bad reviews right now. Give, give it a year to get used to the fact that this is fucking one of the guys from the Lawrence Arms doing something completely different. Fucking let it settle into your fucking... Let the bubbles cool. I bet you might find something on here you like. And, mm-hmm. You know. Had you run into anything... Um with the Falcon, like, was anybody, uh, or were there enough people saying, like, uh, oh, it's not the Lawrence Arms? No, people like the Falcon. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it was like, Danny was in that, and it's just such a fucking good time thing, and it's still, like, super, you know, aggressive. It's mm-hmm. It doesn't sound like the Lawrence Arms, but, like, if you played both for my mom, I don't think she'd be like, oh, that's a Falcon song. That's right. a Lawrence Arms song. And that's my mom. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, like, your mom would have no idea. <laughs> um, so, I guess... Except for she was she was in the studio when we recorded the Falcon record. Yeah? Bet you had the best time, because my mom's the coolest. That's right. She was really nice. She baked us a lot of cookies. And, uh, anyway. Sounds just like my mom. <laughs> um, I guess we'll probably talk about this a little bit more as we go, but this is a record that you are left with a mixed reaction. And I guess it's interesting to think about the thing that you dropped on us when we talked last week 
how El Calcutta you thought was you thought was terrible, and here you got something that you're I'm guessing like feeling really fucking pumped on just because it's so different, it's so new. You're down with all these new Sonics, am I right? Yeah, you know, here's the thing: is like everybody that does anything new, and and I mean that in terms of like for me, just to keep it, you know, in the ballpark or whatever. Uh, like I make a new record; it's like everybody thinks the new shit's the best, right? With mm-hmm. uh, with something like the Lawrence Arms, where there's been this sort of trajectory when it comes to the mixing, it's like, I have to look at it and be like, oh, does my voice sound like shit? Did, mm. Is this song structure so stupid? Is this like the most obvious fucking thing? Is this so dumb? You know, and then ultimately divorce myself from that because it's like, well, it's finished now. You know, I, I go through that with pretty much every record I've ever done. Um, this one was no exception. Uh, this is definitely where I think if I had like a worse bullshit detector, um, I would just like fall in love with the smell of my own farts and be like, check it out. Totally different thing, man. Uh (laughs) But instead I kept sending the mixes back to those guys and being like, no, no, this is not right. Like, because here's the thing. EDM in 2012, and I think it's still kind of like this, but I really was aware of it then because of this mix, was going into, like, hyper-minimalism, right? Uh Uh-huh. And Nick, who's Nick Martin, my partner in The Wandering Birds, is a maximalist, right? Um, So... Like, if you think about, like, some of those songs, like, uh, that, what's that, Ellie Goulding or whatever, and it was just, like, the sound of, like, a drip. It would be, like, bloop, 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 bloop. That was what was hip at the time. Uh This is being mixed by an EDM dude. Nick would send him 45 tracks for, like, the song American Vagina, and he would mix out everything but the drums, the guitar, and the vocals. Like, there wouldn't even be a bass. (laughs) You know? And it was like, no, 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 no. And we couldn't... And they were so... I don't want to talk any shit about them because they were obviously working in a genre that was, like, out of their wheelhouse. But Mm -hmm. just the, the fact that, like, we all had busy schedules. We were trying to, like, crack a whip on them. They were both busy with their own things. And they didn't really share the same vision that we had it was just like no put things back in i don't i think half of the stuff that we put onto that record is not there i think there's there's a remix of that record that could i don't know maybe at this point it would be disappointing because now the record's like sort of turn the corner and become very beloved but uh you know and i don't want to fuck with something that people like but i think it would be interesting to hear all the things that we actually intended on that record yeah Yes. What, what what was I starting to say? That uh, <laughs> oh no, I di- I didn't just fall in love with this because it was different. Mm-hmm. I still was very without naming any names. I there was a band that I looked up to so much, 
And at a certain point, I was like, oh, my God, they're not good anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very. And I was like, if you're going to be doing this, you can never be this lazy and take this path. Like, you mm-hmm. always have to be vigilant. Every record has to be as good as your fucking best record. Like, it's not enough to fall back on whatever it is you think you can fall back on. You know? Yeah. And, and like, Chris and I talked about that. That's not, like, my unique thing. Chris and I both Dude, I think, uh, yeah. had that same experience with the same band, and we talk about it all the time. And it's like, we can never do that. Okay? And, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. So I think that you know one of one of the things that's like uh, been been good for us the, as the Lawrence Arms and when people are like pretty weird you guys are in your forties and you're bigger than you've ever been it's like yeah because we're terrified of being worse than we've ever been uh, yeah. you know like we're always trying to learn mm-hmm. so we're just mm-hmm. like you know so so I, I don't know I entered this with trepidation. But I am ultimately happy with this. Record. So I love the way that this opens. I love Suffer the Children, just how it opens up, and you're like, oh man, this is like just a cute little number. It, to me, it feels like a guy at a bar who's trying to hit on a woman. He's a little sleazy, but it's. It's it is kind of charming, you know. It's completely harmless the way that he comes up, and then oh, sorry, no, he's talking about a child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so this one's also based on a joke, um, much like the barrel joke from uh, the, the Falcon uh, Unicorn Autophy podcast. This one is um, uh, the joke is a man's. Walking into the dark woods with a little girl, and the little girl looks up at him and says, Mr., I'm really scared. And he goes, you're scared? I'm the one that's walking out alone. (laughs) 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 Right? So, uh, and and again, it's just like... Uh In very much the same way that I was kind of overanalyzing the um, the barrel joke last week, there's just so much universe building in that like tiny little joke, and, and I I just feel like that kind of shit is so ripe to exploit. And this coming off of like reading that whole Tyler the Creator thing, and and I was just like, oh, here here we go, and you know like just. And and this was well, I guess I'll just fucking dance through it real fast. The um, the second verse is about Larry Craig, Minnesota senator, who right, right, was okay. like super anti-gay. I believe mm-hmm. he was a senator. He might have been a congressman. I don't know. Uh, super anti-gay, like really into pushing anti-gay legislation through. Is Boston, he? Go in ahead. the Minneapolis airport, trying to get his dick sucked through a glory hole in the men's room. <laughs> and then they were like, uh, yo. And he was like, no, no. 
I just have a really wide stance. And they're like, what? what? <laughs> Which is like the worst fucking tell of all time. Because like, I think the people that aren't into like the fucking, uh, gay hustling glory hole scene don't even know what that could possibly have to do with that fucking <laughs> accusation. But the thing is you fucking dangle your foot under the fucking stall of the guy next to you, and if they dangle their foot back, oh, then you put your dick God. through the fucking hole, right? And uh-huh. so, and so he's like, "No, no, I just have a really wide stance." They're like, "And what is? What do you mean by what that?" What the? <laughs> <laughs> you know? He's like, "Well, you know how? Uh, you know that's obviously when you put your foot under." And no, I didn't know that actually. Uh, what do you mean? <laughs> so. Um, that's so, like that's like when you toss a a guy with crutches a basketball and he has to <laughs> he has to catch it and then reveal that he's not really injured. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely like uh whew, actually it reminds me of like that one of those last scenes in happiness, which is a very disturbing movie if you've uh-huh. never seen it. Uh, Todd Salons, yeah. Um uh great movie to really quickly throw it out there. Uh, there's this uh, one of the plots, it's multi, it's an ensemble cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is a guy that is uh, a, a pedophile, and in the beginning of the movie, uh, Todd Slaws, the director, plays it for laughs, and you do laugh at it, and it is funny, and by the end, you are revolted with yourself because you're like, what? How was I laughing at this? Mm-hmm. It, it is such a masterpiece of like actually making you fucking check yourself it's great anyway um but <laughs> yeah so so yeah the the first yeah the first verse is based on that joke the second verse is based on Larry Craig and see like that's the thing it's like my heart's even in the right place man it's just like mm-hmm. this is just a joke this is like an old joke that like you hear around fucking middle school uh, fucking jungle gym equipment, and this is me motherfucking this guy. That's uh, it, the horrible person, uh, demonstrably. Uh, the the whole thing about the old dirty mattress um, in the woods mm-hmm. or whatever is when Chris and I were and Nick were all younger. We used to go down to. The lagoon, which is just north of um, Lincoln Park Zoo, mm-hmm. and there was this huge um, sort of wood built up on the east side, that sort of backed up against like the zoo parking lot or whatever. And we could sit back there with like a case of beer and like just drink and there's like little pass through the woods and it was completely isolated not visible from anywhere but it was also where the dudes would go cruising so like every once mm-hmm. in a while like we'd walk around and we'd turn a corner and there'd just be like a you know like 51 year old man smoking a cigarette uh like with like a mattress that he'd like dragged from home and he'd be like hmm Oh, and we'd be like 16 and we're like, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish we hadn't run into each other either. I know, you know, yeah, all our moms probably wish we weren't out here. I <laughs> I don't know. But like, so we kind of came up in that like weird, like 
park cruising scene in in a weird way. I mean, like I don't, we weren't a part of it, and we never fucked with anyone. It was just like a symbiosis. I think they were like, these are like the high school burnouts. Mm-hmm. We're the cruising dudes, and like there was like a level of sort of like mutual uneasy respect. I think right, but uh, but that. Larry Craig shit made me think of that. And so I just like sort of conflated the whole thing into uh, one tale. Yeah, totally. I, um, I feel like unsolved mysteries did a really good job of like capturing that, uh, that world really well. Uh, especially the, the idea that it all happens in the woods somewhere. Uh, I, I think that like the thing is, um, it's fucking like, the movie Cruisin' with Al Pacino, it's kind of cool because it, like, kind of brought that culture into, like, a little bit of a foreground, but it's also weird and gross, and it's kind of, like, homophobic, and, it, mm-hmm. and, like, I'm not totally into it. Uh, the idea that, like, that's, like, being exploited on Unsolved Mysteries to me, kind of the same. It's, like, the, it's it's just a, a culture thing, and, I mean, I know people meeting in the woods to fuck randomly is going to probably lead to a little crime, but, mm-hmm. like... At the same time, like, if you've got a culture and it's just dudes that want to get laid, fuck yeah, you go to the woods and try to fuck. That sounds awesome, you know? <laughs> like, like, I mean, like, uh, I, I... Get some outdoors time in. It, I mean, I just, I back the whole program. It's not mm-hmm. personally for me, but, like, if if that was my thing, like, to just, like, bang random dudes, that sounds... That sounds like a fucking dream scene. It's awesome. I love it. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I let's talk about doing crimes and w- what's a boy to do together. Because I, I like the way that they come on either side of Tennessee Williams. I want to just cut that statement out and use that. Moving forward, I love the way that they come on Tennessee Williams. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, you know, before we get into doing crimes and what's boy to do, I feel like it's important to mention that um, the title, A Man with the Passion of Tennessee Williams. Yes, good point. Is mm-hmm. the underscore of Tommy Wiseau, director of The Room. That's what he himself described the room as a film with the passion of Tennessee Williams. My uncle and my grandmother and my grandfather and Tennessee Williams are all buried in the same plot in St. Louis, Missouri, just sort of coincidentally. But if you didn't know, Mm -hmm. Tennessee Williams is in my family. Like, uh, and, and, and I'm, Wow, that was a sort of at uh, um, ambiguous statement. If you didn't know he wasn't, it would look like he is. Uh-huh. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, like that. If you a, if you didn't know, Tennessee Williams is uh, my my <laughs> great uncle. No, uh, we're not related to him. I don't know how um, my family ended up buried next to Tennessee Williams, but. Uh, I really enjoyed the room. I'm a little bit disappointed that. You know, uh, now I'm a dick. That's not even fair. Uh, those guys popularizing the room is James Franco and Seth Rogen. Um, uh-huh. is great. I mean, you, you should 
fucking find your muse wherever you can. I mean, this record, if I, if I can't say that on this record, where the fuck can I say it? Uh, yeah. So that's fair, but it, it, it did make like all my fucking room paraphernalia, like all my shirts with Tommy was so on them. And, uh, like a song called The Man with the Passion of Tennessee Williams seem a little bit obvious mm-hmm. when they were like a lot more sort of, um, uh, you know. Lots of people have seen The Room and like gotten together to see The Room at this point. Yeah, they, 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 it was all mysterious shit. And I kind of liked having mysterious shit, but whatever. Mm-hmm. I'd rather people get to enjoy it. Anyway. Um, totally. Do, do, speaking of movies, Do It Crimes is just lock, stock, and two smoking barrels. Fuck yeah. Remember when they break in and they, they fucking kick the door down, mm-hmm. they run at the guy with the guns, and they fucking, they're just stealing all the money and the drugs? That's uh, that's the first line of the yep. fucking song. Kick the door down and run at the kid holding all the guns. You know, like, it's it's just like that kind of crime. Mm-hmm. Um uh, Dude, those movies are like they were so cool then, and they never became un like not great. It's not like you know, like the Boondock Saints, where everyone's like, "Oh yeah," for like six months, and then it's like, "Oh no!" <laughs> like, look yeah, at you watch like. it again, and it just looks like a long ass episode of like Walker Texas Ranger. You're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of weird, uh, but. Yeah, those movies are good. Guy Ritchie was a good director. Um, I felt like that was like such a like M Shyamalan, uh, M Night Shyamalan Junior twist. It's like, oh, the guns were worth money. It's like, uh huh. Yeah, I kind of feel like we all knew the guns were worth money. The, the very first scene, they're like well, ancient muskets. Yeah, for uh, sure. <laughs> for sure. You know, like, but whatever. I'm not here to like fucking parse the uh, decisions of Guy Ritchie. All I'm saying is the idea of stealing from a drug dealer is uh, you have a nutsack on you. If you get to know a drug dealer well enough that you know where they live and then you're like I think I actually have more firepower than the drug dealer and the people above this drug dealer who are going to be pissed that he doesn't have this money. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I kind of feel like that leads back to those people that, like, melt your face. Uh, You know, the the cartels and things of that nature. Totally. Keep you alive and, like, peel off your face and, like, put it on a mannequin in front of you and you sit there with no face. I, You know, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't steal from the drug dealer. Um, Also... Drug dealer providing a essential service. I mean, you know, <laughs> say what you will. P- people need drugs, man. It, and uh, be be cool to your drug dealers. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to shout out to all the weed dealers out there who are suffering through a tough time right now. That it's being legalized everywhere. Uh, yeah, goddamn right. I mean, I have a. When we talk about gather up the chaps, we'll talk about it more. But I definitely pay homage to drug dealers. Um, And it's actually kind of created like a tiny little uh, colloquialism in the punk scene. Mm. Um, A lot of people ask me where Sergio is and are like, oh, yo, Sergio's here tonight. How about that? (laughs) You know, and which... 
we should talk about that during Gather Up the Chaps, but that's like one of my favorite things I've ever done is inadvertently contributing to language, which is dope. It's yeah, it's the best. But yeah, so doing crimes, uh do you really want to be sedated? I'd rather be awake and counting and plotting schemes. Um I'd rather be feared than hated. Obviously, that's Machiavelli. Machiavelli. Uh-huh. Um, but the first part is the first time on this record of several times that I take issue with lyrics from other people that I admire, you know? And, like, mm-hmm. when I see I want to be sedated by the Ramones, I'm like, word? You want to be... I I get it. Like, being sedated is cool. There's a time and a place for it, you know? Like, there's... A lot of mischief to get up to between the two times, the times he gets sedated. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. And like, that's, that's not for me 24 hours a day, right? Um, this will come up again in the discussion of this record, but I'd rather be feared than hated. It's sort of a Gigi Allen reference as well. That's a, that's a big one to unpack. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, what? Eating all the worms? I never want to learn. I'm doing crimes. I'm doing crimes. Like, doing crimes is a Repo Man reference. So to go back to your you, mm-hmm. your inference before, you, you just fucking kicked it in at the wrong time. That's all. Yeah, I think I had it on the brain with, let's go do some crimes. Let's go eat some sushi and not pay. <laughs> that movie's fucking a masterpiece. Um, you know, the reason I bring it up, uh, with what's a boy to do is um, sort of these are these are two of the more driving tracks on the record. But I think in the discussion that we had earlier about Neil not playing the drums, you can really see the difference in Nick being behind this because I feel like you and Neil, as you're saying, you probably would have revved this one up a lot more just it, without trying. But it's like, but Nick is. And this is not to take away from Neil's, like, unbelievable power and dynamic. And he's played this as the drummer in The Wandering Birds live. uh, And it's amazing. But, like, Neil would never go, Mm -hmm. you know, as, like, the drum fill. It's It's, like, all these Ringo fills in here. Yeah. Even though it's, like, this, like, fast song. I mean, like, there's a... It starts out, it's just bass drum and snare. And then... You know, it's just, it's such a different um, school of training or, you know, like, Mm -hmm. it's like, uh, it's a different take on how to play the drums. And that's what I was really looking for with this, because I can only make so many records that sound like one click away from the Lawrence Arms or are the Lawrence Arms, you know, like this one after sort of like getting my wings with the first four songs done by the Colorado guys. It was like, I don't want this. I, I want to step away a little bit mm-hmm. sort of, you know, I remember, I remember watching a documentary about the first John Lennon and the plastic Ono band record, the first like solo John Re- Lennon record and Ringo played drums on it. And he just said like, I never, I've never repeated a fill and it just fucking blew my mind he's no seriously i know that that sounds like goofy but just like the way he 
You know, Tim, every snowflake is different. No two are the same. I'm telling you with peace and love that I've never repeated a fill. It's like, the fuck you haven't. Of course you repeat fills all the time. There's only like six different, like, uh, what's it called? Like, hexazoid or whatever shapes of snowflakes all snowflakes are the same actually uh yeah all you snowflakes out there if ringo is more diverse than snowflakes i mean i I get what he's saying but and and ringo's he's playing those songs they're very loose and he's just he feels it filling as it goes he feels it man it's it's definitely Mm -hmm. in his soul he plays the drums like keith richards plays guitar yeah which is and there's a reason that there's an argument for those being the two best bands of all time or whatever. And Mm -hmm. while I'm not even going to fucking step into that whole thing, (laughs) like Ringo is underrated as a drummer because he's one of the, he might be the only drummer that has a style that you can like listen to and be like, Oh, that's Ringo or that's someone trying to be Ringo. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think Travis Barker kind of does it because he does like all that like fucking like uh like trap music shit. Right, but right. That but that's like the way skating progressed after Tony Hawk Pro Skater showed you that you could like do a kickflip in the middle of a grind and then turn it into a tail slide. Uh-huh. You know, like once <laughs> yeah. he heard a drum machine do it, he realized he could do it. You know, you know like yeah. where AI sort of uh lets you visualize what you can do organically. Whereas Ringo, he, he plays to the beat of a different drummer, you might oh. say. Mm. Oh, very, very nice. I caught that one. Yeah, I hear that about, like, Keith Moon. I just never could get into The Who. I also am not a fan of The Who. Um, I want to like it. want to say anything bad about The Who, but... I can't say anything good about the who. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I I feel like the uh, the Sonics are are definitely a little bit different, different enough to like really give this uh, something where you're doing something driving. It's a little bit more, you know, for the uh, Brendan Kelly fans who are listening to this thing, who are maybe. Not sure about a man with the passion of Tennessee Williams. They're getting, they're getting what they uh, are familiar with a little bit more here, but it's slightly different. It's uh, it's a really nice nuance to it. I think this is definitely a dirty rock song. It was supposed to be more like bar house than punk, and I think that because of Nick's drumming, that comes through. Mm-hmm. Um, it is also about like sort of like madness and losing your mind. The thing that maybe you'll find interesting about this song, and if you're a total dork, uh, is that there's this cartoon that I really loved when I was a kid, and it was called Galaxy Rangers. And uh-huh. it was, uh, I think it was like a, I remember it as being kind of like quasi anime. Like it wasn't the big, like, uh, like parentheses shaped eyes, but it was almost that. Do you know what I mean? Kind of like Speed Racer, yeah, how that was like yeah, slightly but, Americanized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe that's a good that's a good example. 
Um, but Galaxy Rangers was, uh, they're basically space cops, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But the theme song was awesome. Mm-hmm. It was like one of, like, I thought it was like one of the coolest songs I'd ever heard. And so at the end of the second verse in this, what I'm saying, I'm ranging on this galaxy tonight. Uh-huh. Uh, Something empty satellite, dead-eyed satellite. Uh, mm-hmm. it, I can't remember the words right now because I'm so like fixated on the Galaxy Rangers all of a sudden. But yeah, so that's <laughs> that's just a shout out to like this fucking kick-ass cartoon theme song. And I have never met anyone ever that remembers this show even existing. So I'm sure. Somebody will hear it now because, as I think we see from our analytics, this is like 98% dudes, and they probably all mm-hmm. watch weird anime things. And uh, actually, we Galaxy, mean that in the best way. <laughs> Galaxy Rangers had nothing to do with anime. Uh, but yes, you're right. The song was okay. Yeah. Um, thank you in advance for the validation. <laughs> um, yeah, we get to. Ramblin' Revisited, which I, I, it's to me, it's like the heart of the record. Um, Dance of the Doomed, we talked about a little bit. Dance of the Doomed is probably the other song I would say is my favorite song I've ever written uh, with the gun to the back of my head. It would be down to those two. Um, I got like a piece of correspondence from somebody one time that was like, hey, as a heroin addict and active junkie, I just want you to know I've never heard addiction captured in a song in a way that I didn't think was bullshit until I heard this Dance of the Doom song. And um, it's one of the most like profoundly heavy pieces of correspondence I've ever gotten mm-hmm. correspondence uh, and on one hand I'm like wow that's thank you you know and on the other hand I'm like Jesus am I a fucking more of a disaster than I think I am I, I don't know <laughs> but I mean like uh, and which I'm I'm not trying to harsh anyone's gig out there. If you're, you're fucking out there and you're doing heroin behind the grocery store all night, that's also fine. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, just call your mom on Mother's Day. That's yeah. Fine. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's that's interesting, I guess. Was that the um, was that the thought, like, when you read this? Of like, oh, what am I, uh, what, what am I mirroring here? What am I, like, not aware of that I have in... Well, this is where it comes up again, what I was talking about. And, uh, oh, God, this is fucked up. Um, I have a long history of being really liking and admiring Laura Jane Grace. Um, I think she's an amazing songwriter. I think Every Against Me record is terrific and solo output is also Mm -hmm. terrific when new wave came out and 
the song Up the Cuts. Are you restless like me? Mm-hmm. I recall being like, yo, you don't know what restless is, okay? Am I restless like you? <laughs> no. Vastly more restless. In fact, I would say I'm reckless. Mm-hmm. And so the line, the rest for the reckless will come someday, is a direct response to that. And that's not to take away from that song, but just sort of to be like, uh-huh, yo, I'm, no, I'm not, I'm not restless like you. I'm vastly more restless mm-hmm. than you. In fact, to the point of recklessness. And that was the, um, that was the germ that made this song. And, uh, to be clear, I love that fucking Against Me song. And I don't think the lyrics are bad or right. stupid or right. inaccurate in terms of a description or a question. But when I heard it, I was like, Phew. you know, it was like, it was as though like a friend of mine had been like, you ever drink two beers and try to talk to your mom? It's like, um, <laughs> you ever go to bed sober? <laughs> How adorable. Yeah. You know, so, and which is also not to say that I don't think, you know, Laura's had some real times. I'm I'm not trying to besmirch anybody's life story or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I am fucking big fan. And I, uh, this reminds me of, um, there's the replacement song, Kids Don't Follow. And that was a direct response to U2's I Will Follow. And you you hear that and then you read the lyrics and you feel like, oh man, Paul Westerberg must fucking hate Bono. And he loves that song. But he heard it and felt the need to respond to it. And I think that that can always come out of like adoration. Yeah, well, I mean, yes, that is exactly the thing is... I love that song. I love that band. I love Laura. It wasn't supposed to be a dig in any sort of way. It was... You're not, like, dropping a bar on her. No. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't even know how I'd drop a bar on anyone. You, you do drop a good bar on this record, actually. I am really looking forward to talking about that. But, actually, we need to talk right now about one of your best song titles American Vagina Uh, probably the best song title I've ever come up with Um, this song is just if the first song was the Suffer the Children song Mm -hmm. which by the way Suffer the Children Come On To Me is as dirty as it sounds is a biblical reference Mm -hmm. it is literally a quote from Jesus our guy from last week you remember him uh, Jesus? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, goddamn right. Um, but um, American Vagina is very specifically one of the most on brand for this. I am writing a record in a direct response to this press release thing that I saw. Mm-hmm. Like, this was the the first song that, like, after 
the initial four, um, like, whereas Suffer the Children is based on a joke and based on, like, shaming Larry Craig, mm-hmm. this song was designed to sound just crass and shitty. I mean, mm-hmm. if it's your week to bleed, baby, get on your knees and go Italian style is because the word fellatio is Italian, you know, like mm-hmm. that, that was my, my, uh, my theory there. And it's just <laughs> supposed to be like, it, like if Vinnie Barbarino could fucking write, uh, like, a song, a stroke song. Right. You know, that, 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 that's what this is. <laughs> and, and then the end is making fun of dancing. I oh. should have warned you about my attitude. You got an attitude. I got an attitude. So that's so funny because I saw Paul Westerberg in the thank yous. And my assumption was that this was a reference to... The song Attitude by The Replacements. This is a reference to the song Attitude by The Misfits. Well, that tracks, because he thanked him, too. Yeah. Did? Really? Uh, you thanked Danzig, I believe. You've got some great thanks in here. Um, pretty much, I think every reference that you make is just thanked rather than footnoted or made up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think in this one, I, I really did. Well, it was sort of after the Oak Carter record, where... We just thank the people that were part of our direct organization, and then the influences that ended up on the record. I was like, "That's that's good. That's what I want to do." And then uh, with with this record, definitely because it's a lot of like weird, disparate influences. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, who who knows how this like record's going to be received when you're putting it out? You know. Right, totally. You might as well at least put something in there and be like, "Eh, maybe you don't like this. Check out fucking the replacements. (laughs) Check out out dancing. (laughs) If you don't send us, (laughs) it's their fault. It's their fault. They may. It's really just them just copying off of them. So what's the what's the replacements part then? Because I really, uh, I really honed in on that one. Um. I fucking know. Maybe I just like the replacements because they were unabashedly into being kind of shit heels and like playing the heel, you know, kind of like being too drunk for Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. Um, Hosted by Harry Dean Stanton that night. Uh, I think Waitress in the Sky is like very much like vibe wise. Um, it's just offensive mm-hmm. and it's like. You can think that I hate stewardesses or airline flight attendants. I apologize. Um, <laughs> or you can recognize that this is a fucking funny song. Like, and and I, I think I think the that vibe there could very much be a direct replacements reference that I'm missing. But I think maybe I was just more like vibing. With those those dudes at the time, you know. Totally. I think of them as, like, sort of spiritual forefathers to us. uh, To me and, like, my collective of people around me. That I shouldn't say my collective. The collective of people I'm in. I've always liked the parallel of 
the way things go with the Lawrence Arms and the way things went with the replacements. I've always seen a lot of like spiritual connection to just that journey. I think they got in their own way a lot more than you did, but you you definitely you definitely uh had your moments. <laughs> well, you know what's, what's fucking crazy is that like the Goo Goo Dolls just wanted to fucking be the replacements. Uh you know, yeah. and then we just wanted to be the Goo Goo Dolls, and then we like had to like go through Buffalo to get back to Minnesota to become the replacements. Uh, you know, and, and not that, and the replacements were never a like canonized band in Lawrence Arms. I mean, we mm-hmm. all know the replacements. We all have listened to the replacements, but it was never, you know, like. How? What's what's your big band that you've missed? I mean, no, it's funny that like you, the Misfits is. I don't know that Misfits song that you're referencing. There, I know the fucking like six songs that somebody Attitude? turns on. Yeah, dude. not that one. Yeah, I don't know. You I don't gotta know. listen to that, dude. Go listen to that. That's a good yeah, fucking song. I fucking I can get on that for sure. Um, you know, I know the. I feel like I know like six Misfits songs by heart just through osmosis because someone puts them on it. If you twelve actually, o'clock at night. If you actually listen to that American Vagina song, it is attitude. I stole it like the same way I stole eighteen in life. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, perfect. Stealing from our favorite thieves. Uh, Sebastian Bach, Danzig, not the replacements. Um, this song is fucking great, though. And this, see, we've talked a lot about like the perceptions people had and the reactions people had to it when this record came out. And we talked about this in pre-pro because I, you know, I wanted to uh, be able to bring this up or bring it up in a way that doesn't make me sound like a dick. But yeah. this record, I was like. Yeah, you know, it's not really for me. Sure. That's how, that's how a lot of people felt, man. But do you know what this record did do is women liked it. This was the first record I've ever made mm. where all of the response that was positive was from women. And when we mm-hmm. played, we've only played, I want to say three shows we played. The day the record came out at the Beat Kitchen, it was sold out, um, mm-hmm. which is a cool first show to play. Um, and it was like 75% women, which is unusual for any band I've ever been in. We right. played one year to the day. At the Beat Kitchen, sold out again, like seventy five percent women, and then we opened for No Effects, and that went poorly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I think that's the only three times we've played. I might be missing something, but I don't think so. Um, but it it kind of goes back to what I was saying the other day about like Kim Kardashian and stuff, and it's like. People were very quick to dismiss this record, and that was – people don't like shit that women like, man. Like, men 
find a problem mm-hmm. with things that women enjoy. And it is weird and it's like so endemic. And th- this record is like come around as I was saying to you uh, yesterday, like when this came out, it was met with a fucking weird reaction. A lot of people were just like, the f- I- I've been waiting for a new Lawrence Arms record since Blood, Sweat, and Tears, and it's been fucking three years, and it's this weird-ass shit. And mm-hmm. then some people were like, you know what? This is not the Lawrence Arms, but this will tide me over till whatever. And then a lot of like... You know, correspondence was just like, I love this record. This is like, this is like a sexy, cool record. It's weird that like, because punk rock is really Mm -hmm. puritanical. It doesn't really address sex very much. And this record does. Yeah. And it also addresses like deviant sex and like sort of just, and this isn't a punk record, but it exists in the punk scene. And I think that mm-hmm. by not addressing sex at all, uh, and and I'm not talking about like fucking like penetration pornography or anything like that, but by not addressing sex mm-hmm. at all, it becomes a boys' club, right? Like it, like yeah. If if it's just like it, sex isn't even a thing, it's just like oh, she was mean, she made me feel like shit, and, and now. Good thing I'm hanging out with the and boys it, tonight. You know, it reduces women to a lot of things that are very oversimplified. This record probably mm-hmm. is reductive, but it's equal opportunity reductive. It's like, hey, I'm a junkie and you want some of the pills in my pocket. So uh, you're going to be a very mm-hmm. dirty person and so am i you know i think it's like equal opportunity like gross with the understanding that there is a um that sex is a real thing right and i and and i Mm -hmm. think and i think that uh a lot of people listen to punk rock actually kind of responded to that and we're slow to but some of some of the first stuff was like all from women that were like, holy fuck, this is the kind of record I've wanted to hear. And then, like, three years later, I think a lot of people think this is the best record that I've ever been on. Um, you know, yeah. and, um, and which is why I say about the, the next Wandering Birds record, I'm like, if it's anything like the last one, it'll be everyone's favorite record of 2022, you know? Because uh, <laughs> it definitely <laughs> took a long time for it to come through, and I, and I get yeah. it. But, yeah, I, mean, I was really only trying to stand up for Tyler, the creator, because obviously he needs me. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's cool to, like, just consider the, you know, the fact that these are all, like, different types of songs that you're writing. You're getting a different type of, like, creativity coming out after you've been doing this shit for so long. And then you find out that it's connecting with people who aren't, you know, kind of different versions of yourself. Right. Yeah, I mean, um, when I started getting the first, like, emails and stuff from women, that was when I was like, oh, I don't care about the reviews. If this is, 
if this is like scratching uh, itch, or like if this is filling, is there a way to say this that's not like a double entendre? If this is filling a gap, if this is plugging a hole, if this is, you know, this is blowing oh, its load is, in its underwear, is, um, you know, pistoning back and forth into a gaping. Uh, need for something that hasn't been there before. Uh, uh, well, then that's... That, <laughs> if this uh, needs a cigarette but, after... <laughs> then that's more important than, like, what any dipshit that just wanted to hear, like, some stripped-down Lawrence Arms thing from one of the guys from the Lawrence Arms. You know you know what I mean? Like... like yeah, totally. The second it totally. resonates in a way that uh, people are like, hey, uh, this album is cool and it's sexy and I don't think that happens very often I was like mm-hmm. alright that's it you know like I mean like from my perspective listening to it um, you know a few times when it came out and being like alright yeah it's cool it's doing a thing uh, and then listening to it over the week getting ready to talk to you about it like I heard rambling and I was like yeah that was that was the fucking song and then that's when like American Vagina and going into East St. Louis and these songs on the back half, I was like, fuck, I don't remember these at all. And you've got a fucking run that you go on here. Dude, like, I like that East St. Louis song a lot. Um, named after the scene in um, Vacation where they end up in East St. Louis and... Uh, they get their hubcap stolen oh. off the Vista Cruiser. Yeah. Um, and I also was born in St. Louis. so. Mm-hmm. But the song is about the show Locked Up Abroad. I don't know if you've ever seen it. No. Um, it's about uh, almost 100% of this show is about dumb, white, divorced ladies that like go to like do an eat, pray, love and get convinced by, like, a Jamaican guy or an Indian guy or, like, whatever to, like, tape a thousand pounds of fucking weed or Oxycontins to them and, like, fly back to America. And then they get And then they get busted in the airport that they're fucking trying to leave. And, uh, and it's their tale. But what makes Locked Up Abroad so awesome is that they... The reenactment actors, they get them to look almost exactly like the actual people. Oh, fuck. Yes. And, I mean, there's this one where this fucking kid was having an an alcohol party in Kuwait. And he was, like, you know, the son of, like, a young, like, fucking, probably, like, Blackwater Vulture or something like that. But uh, all we knew, U.S. Uh investor in Kuwait. This And he got thrown in jail... And then Saddam invaded, and he was watching from jail as fucking Saddam, <laughs> like, fucking walked through the desert. The, all the guards bailed, and they were just locked in jail. And then uh, this huge guy kicked down the the iron barred door, and then they all ran out, and he was just, like, on the street, and the street was just, like, it's, like, desert this way as far as you can see, desert this way as far as you can see, a little tiny one-lane road and a stop sign, and this car pulls up, and he's just, like, in his orange jumpsuit, and he's like, hey! 
And they're like, everything cool? He's like, I could use a ride. You know? And, but I mean, there's like an invading army and shit. I, it's a great show. But anyway. Fuck, um, yes. Anyway, this uh, this song is based on... It, it was originally titled Locked Up Abroad. Mm-hmm. But then I thought of like... Where else are you going to have drugs taped to yourself? East St. Louis. Okay, let's we'll call it East St. Louis. <laughs> For, when, when I was trying to get this mixed, this was one where um, Astrum and Hallberg were like trying to strip everything out. And there's so many layers of mm-hmm. vocals and keyboards and stuff. And I was like, okay, put everything back in. And I went back with them like 20 times. And I was like, pull up the backing vocals at the end. And every time they'd send me a new mix and I'd be like, okay, can you pull up the backing vocals at the end? Mm-hmm. Okay. Can you, and they eventually they were like, how loud do you want these fucking vocals? We're cranking them. And I'm like, oh my God, there's two sets of backing vocals. I, of course you're focusing on the <laughs> other ones, <laughs> you know, like it just, I don't know. I'm a dick. Uh, the, but yeah, I, I, I do like that song, um, I think it's kind of cool. It was originally written as a ska song. Oh, for I real? Cha- I changed it to be like the Cars. I, huh? The what I got was Springsteen. When uh, when we were talking about Gaslight Anthem earlier, I was like, man, 2012 Springsteen was fucking in the air, and that's what this one reminded me of. Yeah, I was I was trying to do more of like a Cars thing. Um, when when I when I came up, man, I wasn't from fucking New Jersey or Philadelphia or anything like that. <laughs> Springsteen was coming out with "Born in the USA," and listen to that song. It doesn't even have any guitars in it. Like I, I thought Springsteen was a complete pud. I, I, I can say with no shame, it's like the Brian Fallon, Dave Haas Springsteen revival was the first time I ever took that shit seriously at all. Mm-hmm. McCoggin, Chris McCoggin, was into the Nebraska album. He's got family in Nebraska, and I think he kind of bought it on a lark because he was like, oh, Nebraska. And Mm -hmm. we did appreciate that Atlantic City song, and he was like, dude, this guy's pretty good. But I was just like, the born in the USA guy? I don't think so. Which I was wrong about, but like, uh, it took me a while. That's another blind spot for me, kind of. Mm -hmm. But... This was more me attempting to be Rick Ocasek than Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, Springsteen growing up in New Jersey and growing up with, like, parents who were into cool music. I remember, like, them playing Born to Run on a Saturday night when I was, like, 10. And I was like, this fucking guy? You're you're with this guy, too? Like, all of my friends' fucking lame parents love Bruce Springsteen. It's oh yeah, that's like what they play at the New Jersey key parties while everybody's just fucking dude, in the rumpus room. What they play at the New Jersey everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's Springsteen and Billy Joel. Um, I, I I do love the notion that like people are like I, I saw this like Twitter thread and it was like best fucking state for music, New Jersey. We got Bruce Springsteen. Frankie Valley, John Bon Jovi, and then like the immediate quote, like response was like, anything where John Bon Jovi's number three is not that good. <laughs> I yeah. also want to say 
I unabashedly think John Bon Jovi is very, very good. I would put him above Frankie Valley on that list. Um, but I just thought that was kind of amusing. <laughs> well, Springsteen, Lifetime, the Fugees. Um, anyway, I digress. Um, yeah, I guess I got to listen to some fucking Cars records because that's a blind spot for me. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you listen to Just What I Needed, you'll hear fucking... Oh, sure. East St. Louis. Mm-hmm. It's like... That's like the... You know, just that totally. kind of thing. This one just, like, swells. It's so big. Like, you know, you're talking about the the backing vocals at the end, and it's... It really... Like, it. you take a while to get to that chorus, and then yeah, you got is... the instrumental break, and then you come back. It's so big. This is one of those... What, what I wrote this song originally where it went verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and it just wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And then I was... What's that fucking Green Day song on Nimrod? I want to say, uptight, I'm a nag with a gun, yeah. Oh, sure. Suicide's yeah. last call. Right? And how it's just verse, verse, then chorus, 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 out. Mm-hmm. And I was like... I really like the melodies in the verse. I really like the words. I think this chorus is cool. Maybe I'll try it in that format. And I just shifted it, and it was a song that didn't work, and then all of a sudden it worked. And I was like, ah, word. And, uh-huh. um, you know, and I feel like this has just got, like, a cool fucking sleeves to it, but it's like a nice sheen. I feel like this is driving in like one of Mr. Miyagi's cars mm-hmm. uh you know like uh if you're a karate kid fan a nice like old timey car maybe like trying to like feel up a girl it's not like super dirty uh-huh. it's like it's a nice car it's a <laughs> it's a clean alley you're not you're not even taking off a bra you know it's like that that's the level of filth uh-huh but it is all about like divorcees um, trying to smuggle oxycons back into America from weird Jamaican dudes. I fucking hope I can find this show on the internet. Uh, late night supersonic elastic bags, all one word. This song has such a fucking cool feel. Like a, for, you know, thinking about this thing in terms of like a cinematic scope, this is like such a cool, like shit's about to go down, but everything's a little bit quiet. Yeah, I really like the way I feel like I lucked into this vibe and then with Astrum doing like the the beat underneath mm-hmm. it that it I, I couldn't have concocted this this is like the kind of sound I want for a lot of stuff I mean this sounds like a uh, like a Knight Rider soundtrack or like a like one of those like driving games you yeah, know totally. where like the like the lights like are in your sunglasses and like speed past them, mm-hmm. you know, like if you're the kind of asshole that wears sunglasses and drives at night, uh, <laughs> when the lights are on. But, um, yeah, I mean, this song is also dirty, uh, but quite, <laughs> but I, 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 I back the sentiment, um, of it. And, and like, what's weird is, um, Eric hits, like, one really fucking crazy sour note at the very end. We go, I don't know anything, baby. 
And <laughs> it, he's just... I wouldn't bring it up if he wasn't the kind of guy that's like always excellent at everything. It's almost like he must have done it on purpose to make it like fucking sound sure, like yeah. a, mm-hmm. a bit dissonant because he's he's never off, you know. And um, my wife was like, "That's not like Eric to like make that note like all fucking weird." And I was like, "Yeah, maybe he's human." <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Now he's a hippie. <laughs> He'll have to be reincarnated one more time to be a human. Uh, <laughs> so, um, your mother, um, this is the best song on the record. And I spent a lot of time, at least for me, I think it's the best song on the record. Uh, I, I like this song. I appreciate that opinion. Um, it's funny because I kind of spent a lot of time trying to figure out like what the emotion it made me feel was, but it was a lot of different things at once. And it was a very like deep, like, like I felt like sentimentality coming up. I felt like, you know, love and happiness and a sort of just like, you know, the kind of underlying sadness to just existence in general. Uh, Sure. There's, there's a lot happening here in a in a way that kind of reminded me of unicorn odyssey where it's just like there's something something really going on underneath all of this that's carrying this yeah i think this is very much like unicorn odyssey like we were talking about last week this one surprised me and how well i feel like it turned out um i was kind of like dabbling in the idea of like paul simon um graceland Mm -hmm type type shit yeah um when i was like can i write something that's like kind of ska but doesn't sound ska like can we do like a little more like african kind of thing and uh i don't think it sounds like that and my intentionality is not to have it sound like that right it's just for me as a jumping off point do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like i don't want to sound like Paul Simon's Graceland. I'm not trying to make African music, man. I'm a white guy and I am staying in my lane. But, like... He puts uh, a few different things together that shouldn't align, but they align perfectly. Sure. Right? Yeah, and and Paul Simon's a fucking genius. Yeah. Um, I'm not trying to fucking do anything but uh, tread in his wake. But... um, my mother-in-law called yes uh, the other day on Mother's Day, and she's like, I woke up and I put on that Your Mother and My Honor song. That's what I listened to for Mother's Day. And uh-huh. I was like, holy fucking shit, really? Okay. Um, it, it, like, uh, And this is one, it's really nice to sing and play. Like, It's got like a good rhythm to it. And I often, when I play acoustic, I'll play this. And every time I started, I'm like, it's kind of buried on a fairly obscure album of mine. And it always goes over like one of the best songs of the night. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I think, um, yeah, this song is about standing up for yourself, I think, to the people you love. And not to strangers, mm-hmm. but to be like, yo... I love you. Love me back. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. And I mean, like, I feel like there's some, like, really, like, sort of tender moments. I mean, like, mm-hmm. 
the whole thing about like freedom and stuff like if nobody loves you and cares what you do you don't get much freer than that yeah like it's pretty obvious but it's like no one's freer than a homeless person <laughs> and that's because nobody gives a shit it's like oh you pissed yourself nobody cares mm-hmm. you know like you dove through a picture window nobody cares uh-huh. it's just like it's a treatise on love and how much we think we don't need to care about other people but we do Brandon, you uh, you have a way sometimes of making these very long. <laughs> <laughs> My headphones yeah. fell off. No, uh, man, I don't know. I think that there's something really, really magical about the fact that that your mother-in-law put this on. That like you made something that could, uh, you know, what what's she gonna listen to? Like a record player, right? Um, no, I, 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 so your mother and my honor, uh, what is, what's my honor? Like, what does that line mean exactly? Uh, I, it sort of came to me when I was thinking about the idea of how to explain to somebody that you had a disagreement with their mom, like, like your significant other. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I wasn't talking specifically about, you know, my mother-in-law or my wife. I was thinking more like, you know, man, your bitch ass mom's coming at me. <laughs> and, uh, your mother and my honor were fighting. Like it wasn't me. I, I got nothing against mm-hmm. you. I got nothing against your mom. But if she's going to be like, when are you going to pull it together? My honor will come out and defend me and defend you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Totally. It's just, it's a cool way that that like kind of personifies into like a figure, like a physical body in the song. Right. It, yeah. But it's, it's like. I think the understanding that I'm trying to convey in the lyric is like, it's not like I was just calling your mom a bitch, dude. Yeah, t- yeah, t- <laughs> you know, uh-huh, like, uh-huh. like, like, I, uh, like this, this was this was about uh, defending myself, <laughs> right? Um, so co- covered in flies. You know what this song made me think of is, um, especially having talked about the Falcon last week, talking about Dan and. I, I talk about Dan a lot uh, with David on As You Were. Dan has such a great way of hitting a high note on like his last song on the Alkaline Trio records. Not necessarily a song like Crawl, but a song like If We Never Go Inside, where it's like mm-hmm. Dan's hitting that like climactic moment in sure. you know his part of the record and. We got, we still got a mat track to come. Um, but yeah, this was, uh, this is just like fucking such a good, like late album track. This one is really, I like this song a lot. The inspiration for this song is, um, it's the BTK, um, the Binding and Torture Killer. Right, oh, um, uh-huh. and yeah. the movie Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, which is, um, I think they're, I think the one is based on the other, um, but it's 
sort of to use a really to paint with a broad brush um uh-huh. it it is about going to the storage unit where all your murder victims and polaroids are and like torn up clothes after like having sort of like shut down you know after breaking up the band or whatever and sure. and and then being like man this was this was great we should, <laughs> let's do it again you know yeah. and, and like and um and uh you know like in in Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer one of them is like really charming and the other one's a real fucking idiot and that's like sort of like the the dynamic that's playing in the beginning of the song and at the end it's just sort of stock taking from what's inside uh the storage unit you know like every ripped mm-hmm. panty and discarded limb in the beginning there were more of them you know like right um it's cute but the second to last thing in this is something i say all the time which is, if I don't stay hungry, nobody wins. And that is sort of like my own manifesto to myself about like having a good bullshit detector. And it's like, uh-huh. if I'm not constantly attempting to do whatever it is to the best of my fucking ability, nobody wins. Like, uh, right. Like, I. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't have an organization that's big enough that can afford to let me slack. You know, mm-hmm. Chris McCoggan and Neil Hennessy are some of the best musicians ever. But if I don't come as hard as I can to try to keep up with them, nobody fucking wins. You know, and like, yeah, I, I, totally. I don't know. But I, I say that shit a lot to people. But dude, I think that that's fucking. That's one. Uh, been watching the Bulls documentary a lot, so I got I gotta think about it in the terms of the fact that I think you're a really good teammate to those two. Um, but I mean, especially coming from this spot that you're in, where you're you're removed from butt, sweat, and tears, you are at home. You have this new like role as a as a caretaker. Mm-hmm. The yeah. idea that you're like, you got to fucking make that happen. You have to be able to motivate yourself to create and to create well. I think I think you're right. And I think you're saying something that I missed and maybe I haven't even thought about is that this line was actually to me at this time, right? Like mm-hmm. when I have like all of a sudden two kids and I have an audit, and I'm like scared of everything and I'm making this like weird pervert record because somebody said something about <laughs> some guy. I don't even know who the fuck he is. And all of a sudden I'm like, well, this is going to be the end of me. And then at the end of it, it's like, yo, you did the right thing. If, if you don't stay hungry, nobody wins. Like, you have to fucking put it out. It, 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 it is true. Uh, yeah. It is right. And that's not a way I've ever interpreted it before. But it, it, I feel like a real idiot that I haven't. So there you go. Uh, Thank you for it. You haven't, you haven't interpreted it that way because you don't need to. It comes from inside you, you know? It's your own shit. Yeah, um, I guess. I think... I don't know. Of the... Of the records that we've talked about, especially since 
we started doing these, uh, you know, after every fucking thing fell apart outside. Um, this was this was the one that I think I most identified with in just being in this situation that we're in. Being, you know, I got I got one trip a week that I make to the grocery store. I walk around the block a couple times with the dogs. I'm here with my partner. We're trying to do everything that we can. I have felt like, you know, a lot of oscillating feelings. I'm like trying and not trying. And I feel like so much of this record is is wrapped up in, you know, a similar place of being stuck and fucking fighting your way into something new. I think that shit's inspiring. Yeah, man. Well, thank you. And I think that this record is like on one hand, a fantasy camp of me being like, I'm going to be a criminal and like a pervert and all this. And on the other hand, it's like, I'm going to not be just a punk rocker. I'm going to, uh, do something that is punk adjacent, but that you would never mistake for anything I've done before. So, I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of like fantasy camp elements in that. And, you know, I mean, I, I appreciate that sentiment a lot. Like that's, you know, any, that's, you know, I fucking say the phrase, that's why we do it a lot, but it's like, if music's ever like helped you like fucking escape or whatever, you know what I mean? And it's like the first time someone came up to me and said something that, approximated like the way I felt when I first heard bad religions, no control. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, like I was like, I did that for, Oh yeah. That's the most fucking cool thing I could do because you know, the best, it's the best feeling I've got. Anyway, I'm not suggesting that that's what (laughs) this does for you, but you know, just saying, any 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 little bit of fucking yeah good vibes. I feel like the you know this is it's when you're it's when you're stuck it's when you're not doing something that that's when you try new shit and that's um I don't know anybody who's like fucking making art out there right now fucking try all of the things that you never thought you could because what the who, what the fuck's going on right now just try make it happen um the thud and the echo after all of that uh we end with a death yeah i don't know man um uh, this song is fucking heavy and mm-hmm. um you know it's fucked up and like uh um well, I don't know how to navigate the last, like, fucking 45 minutes of this podcast, but uh, I will say it's fucking probably time for me to go. Here, here I'm, I'm just going to do a quick one. Oh, this last song, yeah, this is kind of about my daughter. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, she just gotten born. I think a lot of people probably think it's, like, kind of a love song, but it's about my daughter, uh, you know, screaming while I'm trying to write a song. Um and uh, mm-hmm. there was also like kind of a weird tragedy in my high school that uh, went 
Well, it didn't go down in my high school. It went down many years after, but it was it involved my high school class, and that uh, informs this song as well. Um, yeah. So that's about it. Well, happy birthday. Do you have anything else that you want to add about I'd Jesus rather... <laughs> Four hours. Nobody wants to hear anything about this album. Brendan. Yo. This is a record that I feel very, very lucky to have had a reason to go back and listen to and really, really appreciate. Um, And I know for people who have been with it from day one, this is fucking gold for them because this is a record that a lot of people really do care about and have cared about from the beginning. We get a lot of emails to Brendan Kelly podcast at gmail.com specifically about this record. And I think that if this was when this one came up for you, if you're listening and you're, you're a Falcon and Lawrence arms person, go back. There's some fucking great shit on here. There's some sounds that might be unfamiliar, but underneath it's fucking good songwriting and shit. You're going to like those sounds the third time, maybe even the first. That takes a few, it takes a few years, but it's, uh, as much like with George Bush's, George W. Bush's presidency, um, history will redeem it. (laughs) <laughs> terrible at the time better than what's now <laughs> brendan my dude this uh this is my favorite episode of this podcast so far uh the one before it was my previous favorite the one before that i think dog that shit uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was implied that you were carrying the rest of the statements on uh dude i really really have grown to look forward to this time uh during the week it's fucking so nice to talk and we really appreciate so many of you who have been with us from the beginning who are still listening uh as we (laughs) crawl but like fuck man this was uh this was a cool conversation. It developed naturally. I really, really appreciate being on this side of it. And we both appreciate all of you out there. I invite you to rate and subscribe. Give us a good review. All of that stuff. We got another one coming up next week. Brendan, what do you think we should talk about? Uh, I think we should do cocktails and dreams, man. I think it, it, let's do get back to the Lawrence arms. uh, A little less heavy. (laughs) And <laughs> this <laughs> comedy record about fucking yeah. <laughs> <laughs> flammable fertilizer. Um, <laughs> it's great. It's great. We've got uh, th- there aren't too many songs on that record. We won't go too yes, long. That's no, it's, it's perfect. <laughs> it's perfect. Um, he is at Bad He's following me at Better Yet Pod. Brendan Kelly Podcast at Gmail dot com. 
We'll be back next week. Thanks, brothers. To protect Earth and our allies, courageous pioneers committed to the highest ideals of justice and dedicated to preserving law and order across the new frontier. These are the adventures of the Galaxy Rangers. Damn all this bullshit! Let I I put down my phone. Okay, I'm like a Greek grandfather. I put down my phone. Put it. I put it down. <laughs> okay.